Welcome everyone, thank you for waving and I see we've got our monastery co-living, we've got our camas co-living there and all of our beautiful beloveds sprinkled all around joining us today. Canada, Mexico, different parts of the United States. Uh, is it Taiwan? Yeah, I think Taiwan is there, yeah. <laughs> we've got a good mix. And um, well, everyone is always fascinated and interested to see what the movie poll was for the week. And I think on top of the English poll and the Spanish poll, it was uh, feelings of unworthiness or inferiority. Which is interesting that they put unworthiness and inferiority, because you could put unworthiness, inferiority, superiority. Uh, you know, oftentimes people think, well, if they have really strong self-esteem and they're powerful in term, or famous in terms of the world, you know, then they don't have any uh, worthiness issues. But as the ego judges it, the ego would say, no, no, you don't have worthiness issues when you've succeeded according to the world's standards. And you're rich and powerful and famous and and on top of the world, but actually that is the flip side of the coin of the inferiority. So basically uh, that's a very good topic to go after because uh, when we start to take a look at that, oftentimes when there is a feeling of being inferior, then there's this huge energy and a lot of effort that's expended by the mind to try to overcome the inferiority and then it's like the the pendulum swings over to the other side and then there's all this sense of pride on different types of accomplishments and attainments and skills and abilities. So it's basically the whole pendulum is the belief in being something other than Christ, other than something that God created. And then um, second place in the English poll was, I believe it was fear of punishment? Fear of punishment. And then in the Spanish poll it was anger. Anger at others. Anger towards others. So we had a lot of potential movies, but I was really looking at the movie list this time to really try to cover the whole gamut from unworthiness, to uh, anger at others, to uh, fear of punishment. An interesting mix there to find one, but, but we did. We've, we have a beautiful movie that, that embraces all three topics. But before we get into the movie, I was just reading through some beautiful quotes and a beautiful section from the Course today called beyond all idols. And basically in that section Jesus is giving us the, he always gives us the, the purpose and the meaning and the context and the reasoning for everything that is shared. So it's not just like given as this is what you should believe or do this and nothing else or some kind of commandment. You know, it's given in a context. And when Jesus starts talking about idols, 
it's kind of a, a beautiful context because what he's telling us is that we were created as an eternal being and that our will as the Christ is the same as God's will. So our will and God's will is for perfect happiness. It's the state of heaven. It's the state of, of perfect oneness and there are no needs, there are no lacks. Uh, all communication is, is described more as like a song. It's more telepathic than words because words were made up by the ego. So the spirit can use what the ego made, but actually it's pointing back towards this vast experience of who we are. And then when we talk about idols, I think back to the Bible about thou shalt not hold any graven images before the Lord thy God. Well, it's more than the graven images. Basically, in the Beyond All Idols section, Jesus is saying that, that this whole cosmos of images is something that God didn't create. And so an idol is not just a specific thing. Like sometimes they say, don't make an idol out of a, out of a, a teacher or a parent or a historical figure. Don't make an idol out of a person. Don't make an idol out of money. Don't make an idol out of uh, seeming prestige or power or whatever. But Jesus is saying, well, actually everything that you perceive that is specific, like a star or a planet or a mountain or a leaf or a cat or a banana, anything that is specific is an idol by definition. So it helps us because oftentimes when people think about idols, they think, I've got to be careful not to turn something specific into an idol. Uh, like for example with food, they say, I just have to be really careful I don't make an idol out of food or an idol out of my favorite food or I don't want to make an idol out of sex or money or something or out of a career. But the thing about it is, even if we refer to the body, everything in this world of specifics are idols because every specific thing that is perceived in fragmented perception is the attempt to have specifics take the place of abstraction. And love is pure abstraction. Uh, I think Kirsten, you were, had a quote on Facebook about how love doesn't, it doesn't um, look on anything more than in favor than anything else. It doesn't love anything more than anything else because love is abstract. It, it's not specific. Even though on this planet, you know, it's like we have a lot of idolatry bumper stickers. I love New York. I love my Volvo. I love whatever, fill in the sports team. You know, I heart Huckabees. I mean, it could be, it could be anything that you want to put after the I heart. Because whatever you place after the I heart is something specific. And that's what I'm trying to share at the beginning before the movie starts here is that the belief in specifics is the ego. The whole world of specifics. You know, when I was growing up, I would hear sayings in my family and sometimes I would just kind of, 
even as a boy, I would just stop and I would ponder for a moment, like, is that really true? Like one of the things I heard when I was growing up was, only God can make a tree. And I remember even as a child, I, I was like, really? They say, yeah, yeah, he created Adam and Eve and, and trees and he created a lot of things and only God can make a tree. And I was like, huh. And you might say that God extends God, so that's why God's will and Christ's will is the same. So, but God's will is universal and so is Christ's will. So you might say that at the core of things, if you really got to the heart of the matter, Jesus says in the Beyond All Idols section, your will is universal. Don't you like that when it even comes on in front of the movies? The big sweeping universal? Uni, one, versal, versus song. You know, the, unif the, the one song. Every time the, the, the logo comes on for universal, whoosh, I get a rush of joy. Just, just watching the logo go by before the movie starts because it reminds me that, that that's what God's will is, and that's what our will is. It's universal and cannot be content for form of any kind. I remember when I was growing up, I, I got one of these kind of talking records. Before talking books, audio books, there were talking records. I got a, t a talking LP. I know that dates it puts me in a, a date range. Back before cassettes were LPs, these big records. And I remember I got one about this, it was a story about Paul Bunyan, and then there was a, a song in it, um, because it was all about a little boy who was making his Christmas wish. And he made a little list, and he basically on, only put three things on his Christmas list. He he wanted, it was a pioneer day, so it was an older story. He wanted an axe, an apple, and a buckskin jacket. And that's all he wanted. He didn't want to burden Santa Claus with a long list. Just three things. And basically, some of us have grown up with a mentality where it's like, you know, you shouldn't be greedy and you shouldn't want for things. And in this world, it seems pretty much a part of the human condition to want for things, to desire to want things. It doesn't matter whether they're, they're concepts, or they're physical things, or they're uh, different conditions, or different um, skills and abilities. It could be a range of things, but it seems to be that part of the human condition is to want for things. Then there was uh, King David in the Bible, in the Psalms, he started off his famous 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Ooh, that's a good one. I, I had to ponder that my, my grandmother knew that whole 23rd Psalm by, uh, by heart. Even though my name was David and I was named after King David, I couldn't even recite the 23rd Psalm, but she would be like in her 90, 95, 98 years old, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pasture. And oh, I would just, she would melodiously recite the whole thing. 
She couldn't remember who she had uh, breakfast with in the morning because she was diagnosed with dementia. But she could, she could verbatim go through the entire 23rd Psalm, which I could not do. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did remember who I had breakfast with, and she was in a state of bliss because she could only remember like Bible verses that were profound. And she could only remember really profound songs about Jesus, and she forgot everything else. And they thought she was sick. They thought she was mentally ill. Well, if you keep with the course, believe me, you're heading in that direction. I call it spiritual dementia. You know, you're going you're to start to lose awareness of the things, of the memories, of the specifics. Some of you already, you may even be in your 20s or 30s starting to get a little spiritual dementia. That's good. But the whole point is specifics were made as idols to cover over the face of Christ. This world is a veil of idols. It's a veil of specifics that was meant to cover the face of Christ. Which, again, the face of Christ, we're not talking about a man, Jesus. We're talking about light. The face of Christ is pure light. So the veil of images was made by the ego to keep you blinded from knowing who you are as an eternal light being created by God. So, so there's something profound in that beginning of that 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And basically, Jesus knows that this is the condition of the dream world is wanting. So I remember reading through the text and I'm looking for something like, okay, while I'm still wanting, Jesus, can you give me something practical for one of these uh, beings that is still wanting something, that doesn't know who it is, it's still wanting. And, and I, the part that I found in the Course that really resonated, still really tickles me, it resonates in my heart. Because wanting tends to imply a, a, a goal, a, a desire, a, a, an intention for something, a, an aim, you're aiming for something and everything. He says, try this one on. The peace of God is my one goal, the aim of all my living here, the end I seek, my purpose and my function and my life, while I abide where I am not at home. So he's saying, if you're going to want for anything, then want peace, uh, want happiness, want joy, want the present moment, want the holy instant. I know there's a lot of spiritualities actually that say, though basically they're called non-dual past, but they try to negate the wanting. And somebody you know, in the audience says, well I want an answer, or I, I want to know this, or I want to know that. No. You cannot go into the void. Be empty. Be empty. You know, it's, it's not the most loving kind of answer if you have a want coming up. <laughs> be still. You know, be empty. Go into the void. You know, emptiness, I never did find emptiness that attractive, actually. Uh, I could tell it was a step along the way that Buddha uh, talked a lot about, and, and of course all the mystics and saints talk about empty your mind, and empty your pursuits and your desires for things of this world. But, what Jesus is saying is, it's okay to want. Why not want peace of mind? If, uh, if you have 
a mind that desires, by its very nature, the core of the mind is your prayer or desire. Jesus uses those words synonymous. So if the core of your mind is desire, then why not aim it at what you really want, which is the present moment, which is the holy instant, which is peace of mind. It gets a, a bit tricky to the ego because the ego is like, that's got to be the most boring thing ever in all of history, to want the present moment. It's like, oh, come on. You can do better than that. That's the most bland thing. You know, you're, you're, a, you're a, a, an existing being and now you're supposed to want the present moment. Come on, come on. It's like, come over here to my crystal ball. You've got lots of things you can want in the crystal ball. Don't waste it on the present moment. And yet, when you really meet someone and you find that they're joyful and they're happy, it's like, you know, when you watch Eckhart Tolle, when he's teaching, you know, he'll talk and he'll, ha, 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 ha. You know, he has to chuckle when he shares the truth because it's so funny. That's why he chuckles. Uh, because it's so delightful. He's just expressing something that is utterly, utterly delightful. And he, he cannot help. It's involuntary. He has to chuckle uh, when... Or somebody asks him a question and they're like straining and straining and he's ha 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 You know, the ha 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 is coming from the present moment, which is really the teaching the power of now and be present. So the joy comes from that and, and therefore if you're going to want something it's okay to want joy, it's okay to want happiness, it's okay to want peace. It's just that you, you do have to start to realize that, that what, when you're asking for that you're asking for something that you were created as. So you're already asking for something that you already have Having and being are the same. You already have the present moment. You already have the happiness. You already have the joy. When you're asking for it, if you think that it's going to come in some kind of specific form, if you have these thoughts like, one day I will arrive when I have whatever, X amount of money in the bank and a Mercedes Benz and, and a, a a foot massager and who knows what all you've got on your list, but it doesn't really matter because as long as you think are thinking of specifics, then that is, we could say that in, in one sense, that's asking amiss. Now Jesus did give us the song of prayer and he says, you know, if you are asking for specifics and you're feeling guilty, yeah, that's the, that's the human condition <laughs> to be in a state of lack and and asking for, and looking for, and perceiving specifics, that is the state of lack. But again, your will is universal, so it has to come to a point where you just zoom in and you actually realize that, that actually specifics and idols are nowhere and nothing, and God is everywhere and everything. That's basically self-realization. You have to see that, that specifics really don't have any existence and that's why they don't have any value and that God is everything and everywhere and everyone. It, in other words, God has no limits and idols are the belief in limits. That's what things are. You know, to even use this example of like a cup. I've done that on a number of occasions just 
to call it a cup and to pull it out from the whole cosmos of images and give it a color, give it a name, and whatever, that's what error is. That's what idolatry is, is to believe that there are specifics that have actual reality. I had a call today and I was talking and what was came through was such a beautiful idea was how did Jesus heal? That's the topic I got off into before I came over here, was a brief call about, about how did Jesus heal. And what was shared was Jesus healed because he realized that the present moment was all that there was. When, when someone came to him with whatever, they, a belief that they were a body or a person or with uh, leprosy or disease or what they call in the Bible evil spirits, uh, demons, it didn't really matter because Jesus was simply in full awareness of the present moment is all that's real. He was aware that the ego had, had made up linear time and it had no validity whatsoever. So whatever was presented to him was always, it was overlooked because the present moment is all that there is. And therefore, whatever is perceived as a problem, or a personal problem, or a global problem, or an environmental problem, or an interpersonal problem, all of them fit into that one category. They're all time-based. They're all remembered or anticipated. They are not present. There are no present problems. And Jesus simply realized this and was present and therefore everything and everyone that seemed to present themselves was seen from that unified mind, that healed mind. He, he literally knew there was only one of us. He literally knew the, he was in the quantum field. He was in the, the connectedness. He, if you use a Mr. Nobody movie, which I've shown recently about all the hypotheticals, the present moment doesn't contain any hypotheticals. So he knew that whatever was presented to him in time and space was nothing but the present moment. There were, there were no hypotheticals. And that's why from that state of mind you have to see how funny the whole world is. It has to be very funny. Because why? There's no prophecy. You know, how many times have we heard all these prophecies from the Bible, Revelation, the book of Revelations, and how will the world end, and, and all the things that are going to happen. I mean, when I used to travel the world before I became a stationary being, uh, I, when I used to travel the world I would meet people and they'd talk about so many topics, but they would say, you know what's coming? I'd say, what? And they'd tell me some economic news, and a crash, a, a big boom in the stock market, or a crash, or a big disaster, or some of them would say, heaven is coming. I said, when? Well, I don't know for sure, but it's coming in the future. You know, it's, you know, it's like you start to realize that, that the reason Jesus was so peaceful was he was so present not because he was trying to be present, but because it was all there is, all there ever was, all there ever will be. That linear time itself is the, is the disease. Linear time is the sickness. 
The pandemic is not the sickness. It's time. It's linear time. It's believing something other than the present moment. And that's why it may seem pretty deep, it may seem pretty steep, but when you just relax and you take a deep breath and you find yourself just starting to get more and more relaxed and more and more still and more and more quiet and more and more tranquil and serene, you are remembering the truth for everything and everyone. That everything and everyone, all the idols vanish in the awareness of this truth. It's so sacred, there's such a feeling of reverence with it. There is not even the possibility of a problem or an issue arising because, because time, Jesus says, cannot touch me. It, it goes past me, it can touch me not. The past is over, it can touch me not. What a beautiful idea. The past is over, it can touch me not. So today's movie is going to be about a famous singer. And he was quite uh, musical too, really. An excellent um, piano player, an excellent songwriter, not so much with the lyrics, but with the songs themselves, which has come to him like Mozart, you know, Mozart would get his entire concerto in one flesh, and then he'd have to take a pen out and start writing down the notes in linear time. But he would whoosh, get the whole concerto. And uh, this, is, this is pretty much the same. I mean, maybe it wasn't an entirely one flesh, but it would just trickle through and it would be written down in a very short period of time. Kind of like Slava when she receives her songs. They come and if she doesn't have a pen, she just record them. And so she doesn't miss them because they come and they whoosh. You better record it or it's gone. <laughs> and that's, that's the same with Elton John. So we've got a movie that's going to explore idolatry. Uh, it will explore addictions. It will explore special relationship, uh, looking for ex external love. It will explore anger. Um, Elton's not unlike all other human beings. The definition of coming to planet Earth uh, is that there's, there's rage in the mind underneath the seeming manifestation uh, of a body and a world. There's rage underneath. And this is the ego's rage. Remember, the ego made the world. The ego made the cosmos. The ego made the bodies. It made the stars, the planets. It made all the cosmos of idol images to keep you from knowing who you are as the living Christ. And with Elton, he comes into uh, England, Great Britain, and, and he's born there. He grows up in a family and his story is not too unfamiliar to some of the other stories I've heard about. Um, people say, well, my, my family life wasn't the best. Imagine, sit imagine sitting down with Jesus under a tree and saying to Jesus, my family life wasn't the best. You're speaking to the eternal life, and you're telling, <laughs> telling eternal life, your family life wasn't the best. So when people say to me, my 
my past, my family life was really not good. I said, what do you mean? And they say, I come from a dysfunctional family. So there's where it starts. Has anybody heard that line, I come from a dysfunctional family? Well, you need to get to know that family of light, family of light. I love you and I know you love me too. You, you know, we come from light and that's really a great family. I mean, all the, the angels and all that love and the Holy Spirit. Christ. And we, Jesus says we have creations, we don't remember them because we're asleep. But he tells us in the Course we have creations. As a Christ being, Christ has creative ability, so Christ has creations. We don't, we don't know our own extensions, we don't know our own uh, divine light beings that, that have extended from our Christ reality. We have children of light, but not in a plural sense, but in a, uh, an, an eternal infinity sense, that we have, we have offspring, we have creation, but they're not physical, they're just pure light, and they're waiting for us to wake up. <laughs> it's like, I mean, waiting is kind of a word. In heaven, there's really not waiting going on, but they, they can't know us, we can't know them for sure, until we wake up. <laughs> It says in the Course that the separation was, a, was an idea that God didn't understand. <laughs> so, that's good to know. Separation is an idea that God didn't understand. And, and to the being that seems to be sleeping, God is, a, is, a, is an eternal being that humans don't understand either. That's why it's kind of like, you know, there's a, a scale from Atheism, agnosticism, and then they call them the believers, the ones who, who don't believe in God, who believe in knowledge and believers. One of my, the com comedians that I've so enjoyed, I actually have one of his, his movie, his movie in my Movie Watcher's Guide to Enlightenment is Bill Maher. And he's, uh, he made a movie called Religulous, which is the title, Religulous, is a combination of ridiculous and religious. So he made a movie called Religulous, where he pokes fun at all religions. He doesn't just go after Christian religions, he goes after all kinds of religions. He goes after, he goes after Scientology, he goes after anything, anything that's religious. He, whatever the main religions are, he goes after them. And he pokes fun at all their hypocrisy, just pokes holes through them. But anyway, a couple days ago I saw that he made the news because he said he, I knew that he was not too happy, this uh, comedian, about uh, Donald Trump. But then he said, I'm through with going after Donald Trump. Now here's the ones that I really, really, really don't like. <laughs> and I was like, okay, here we go. What are they? He said, here's the two that should be eliminated from the, from the, human's language, from English and all languages. There's two words that should be eliminated from all languages on the planet. God and Jesus. Those are the two words that he picked to eliminate from the, from the, the language. He said, now that's what I'm really upset with. <laughs> Trump was just a starter. No, now I'm really coming out, coming out of the closet. I think the biggest problem is God and Jesus. So that was a good laugh for me. I was like, 
Interesting choice of words. <laughs> Jesus is a five-letter word. God is a three-letter word. If you add them together and divide by two, that's two four-letter words. But somehow he tried to uh, eliminate, uh, he wanted to eliminate God and Jesus. But I always laugh because I know if I ever met Bill, I would have the best time with him. Because I always, in this moment, which I stay in, I, I find that people are so adorable. Uh, because I don't really zoom in on the person, I zoom into the to that beautiful being behind the person, that playfulness. I mean, he has such great humor, he's sweet and kind. He gets on a rant every once in a while, but again, not in the present moment he doesn't. It's just, he's adorable. He can even say things like, we should eliminate God and Jesus from all the words in the world. And I go, oh, you sweetie. You just adorable, you sweetie. I still, you still make me laugh, even with your, your God and Jesus jokes. Because that's the whole point. And Elton John is going to play it out for us. We're going to hear some really poignant songs. What's the one called? Your Song? Mm. Oh my gosh, when, I, when he channeled that song, I think when I first heard your song on the radio, it was so beautiful, I just must have played it. I went out and got the record, the little 45 record, and I must have played it hundreds of times. I just was, and you can tell everybody that this is your song. It may be quite simple, but now that it's done, I hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put down in words. How wonderful life is while you're in the world. It's just, oh, my hard chords, I was like, wow. I can't believe there's such a song as that. But he, he basically took the music down, and then Bernie, his buddy, his collaborator, took down the lyrics. And the way it worked is, Elton sits down at the piano, and he channels that beautiful melody, then he sends the melody off to Bernie, and Bernie felt so much love when he heard the music that Elton had sent him, that he wrote your song. And guess who he wrote it for? It was for Elton. He, he thought of Elton. That, 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 that is not a romantic love song. I know some of you are disappointed when I tell you that, but actually <laughs> that song was written by uh, his collaborator who, who loved him deeply and adored him, not in a physical way at all. This was not a romantic love, this was not a sexual love, this was a deep, deep core love. And when Bernie heard the music that Elton had composed, or we'll say received and, and played out on his piano and sent to him, he, he composed the lyrics. And, and that's in the movie, you know, he actually has to come out with his private thoughts and say, actually I, I wrote that for you. <laughs> It's like, oh, so touching. So we're going to, to see this journey, but this I think this is a time saver because I'm hoping that with this talk that I'm giving before the movie that, that you'll just pause as you watch this movie and pause to remember the present moment. Pause to remember how all of the the seeming journeys and pursuits that we, we go on that seem to involve 
business opportunity, relationships that seem to involve um, careers or, or fame or fans and, and lots of fans. <laughs> There's lots of Elton John fans. You, you can see him when he first goes to California and he's kind of shy. He kind of locks himself in the bathroom and they're, they're like, you got to come out. You know, you're, you're, you're supposed to be you know, performing here at this, this famous uh, place. And uh, basically, he, he's, he's got so much comparison going on to, you know, the Beach Boys and all a lot of other famous, famous performers that he's thinking, I'm not like them. They're great, I'm not. So he, there's the inferiority right there. And yet he does, he has coaxed to come out of the out of the bathroom, and when he goes out to this uh, to play, it just everybody goes wild. Everybody lights up, and and yet then he has to deal with that. Uh, he has to deal with fame. He has to deal with money. He has to deal with uh, with a manager who wants to be his partner. You know, this this movie actually relates to one I showed uh, you just like last week. You you can't take it with you because the whole movie I kept making point all the way through the movie of are you there to give or are you there to get? And this movie really, really, really helps us discern between the giving motive and the getting motive. You can see that when the songs are coming through, there's such a purity. There's such an innocence, there's such a joy, the spontaneous nature of these songs. And there's some really beautiful songs. And then, and then there's the motives of the ego, to own, to possess, to get, to control. Wow, this movie is spectacular at showing the giving motive and the getting motive. Just like uh, you can't take it with you. The movie was really good at showing the miracles and the extension giving motive and the getting motive of the ego, which is death, which is destruction, which, which is, is where all the unworthiness comes in. It's where all the, the fear of punishment comes in. Fear, guilt. And, and the punishment is is a projection onto God, because God is just the creator of divine love. But when the mind believes in idols, it has tremendous fear, anger, and guilt, and then it projects that, the ego projects it back onto God. Because the ego doesn't even know God, it's just made up a make-believe uh, old man in the sky God, or <laughs> some, some God, that's another image. It's just made up another image, and now it's projecting all of its venomous anger, all of its rage, onto this make-believe image of God that isn't God at all. That's why I, I just adore Bill Maher, even when he says there is no God, even when he says that God and Jesus are two words that should be eliminated from language. I still think he's a sweetie, because if... God was the God that he was taught when he was growing up, you know, the anthropomorphic God, the, the God of, 
actually of much of Judaism and Christianity. We'll call, call them the projected, make-believe, fictitious, ego, Judeo-Christian God. And that's what he's, he is so angry. That's why he wants, he wants God and Jesus, those words eliminated from the, from the planet, because he's angry at the image of God that he was given when he was growing up. And he rebelled. He decided there is no God, and atheism looked like a, a, a way to handle the anger. Well, if I'm raging at this God, then maybe if I just don't believe in God, then I can find happiness. And really, God is not a matter of belief or unbelief. You know, it's, it's God is. Jesus says in the workbook, God is. We say God is and we cease to speak. <laughs> That's the last two words that you'll ever utter. <laughs> it doesn't matter if God and, and Jesus get eliminated. You could, just, you could just use the one word, is. <laughs> it would even work. <laughs> is. If that's your last word, is. That's it. Then, <laughs> then that's okay. You don't even have to worry about the God word or the Jesus word. Just isness. I think that was the parting word that my beloved cat, Tripod, before she took her last breath, she like telepathically, she fired a ball of isness at me. Shh. There. <laughs> you know, it's like isness. That's all, that's, that's why the present moment, that's why God is everything and everywhere, because isness is all there is. Love is all there is. So enjoy the movie. I will pop in from time to time. And if you find yourself feeling a little anxious or you've, it's, he goes through a, a, a wild ride on planet Earth, we'll say. But it's just, it's a trick of the ego. It's a time trick. This movie is a time trick. But just find yourself, come back to that isness of tripod that isness of, of the source, just come back to that. And even if during some of the scenes, if you find yourself getting a little riled up, or you find some anger or fear or guilt starts to come up in your own awareness, you might even want to just close your eyes as the movie's playing for a few, for a few moments and just come back and center in on that beautiful thought about the present moment. Come back to your safety, the present moment. Come back to your security, the present moment. Come back to your love, your connection. Come back to your source. Come back to the stillness, to the silence. And then open your eyes and you can, can from that, that stillness, you can really then see the movie in a beautiful new way, which is really the whole point. That's why we watch movies, is to, to come into the presence. Of, of God's love and spirit. So enjoy the movie and enjoy the music. I, I mean, great movie, but oh my gosh, enjoy the mu music too. And, and he has it's some musical scenes in this, you know. It's, I like it the way they play out. They, they use the director's license to kind of play out some scenes um, where it would be, normally be a really heavy, heavy scene. And then they they start playing it out in some kind of a fantastic way. I think they do that with, on purpose, just as a way of saying, don't forget, it's just a dream. Don't forget, don't take it too seriously. Take it lightly. And that's another thing that's beautiful.
So enjoy the movie. Oh, that's beautiful. I never really have talked about dysfunctional families after such a beautiful song. Um, but basically, that's a great song uh, to, to really point out what I was talking about at the beginning. Like, what is b believed to be the world of time and space, um, in the religions, the many different religions of the world, they talk about a heaven and a hell. And linear time and space is hell. Uh, that's the hell. It's not a, a burning hell. It's not an eternal burning fire or something like that. It, it looks like what we're looking at right now. And this is, when, when you see what seems, a lot of people would say, well, that's a just, that's a typical, David, that's a typical dysfunctional family. And where, where does this dysfunctional family exist except in a belief in time, a belief in hypotheticals? I, I like that that's the song. They're singing, I want love, except for the father who's singing, I can't love. Now you know there's got to be some guilt there because for the ones that are singing, I want love, they obviously don't know that they are love and that they were created as love because they want something and they, to sing, I want love, is really to start off with is the belief that you, you aren't it. Uh, that you are seeking for love in idol images, and that's basically the condition of this whole world. That's why it gets projected off onto this idea of dysfunctional family, because the mind decides everything that will seem to occur. It's all like a package program. You know, you think when you come here, you think you get to live life. It's exciting. You get to live life one moment at a time. One moment of linear time at a time. And it's a big trick because the people were pre-decided upon, the, the characters, the scenarios. Uh, I think there's a, a, a writer named Carolyn Miss who talks about the contracts. Like these are all just contracts. They've already been decided. It's almost like uh, like a world packets where you just, you get to watch them expand and you get to watch the scenarios play out. But they're all based on false beliefs. They're all based on false beliefs in the mind, the ego. And then all of these images are just part of the idolatry. So it doesn't matter whether you're seeking for it and believe you don't have it or whether you, like with the father, you know, he feels this anger, you know, he goes off to war. Yeah, great, great experience, right? He gets, he's in uniform, he gets to go off and try to kill people or defend things, and then he comes home, and in one sense it's no wonder, you know, from that kind of dark perception of war that, you know, when he gets home, come on in, the wife says come in and go up and see, see your son, uh, I'll see him tomorrow. He's not happy to see his son. He's not really happy about his life. And, and he's just using maybe his jazz 
and occasional family visits in between the war scenarios and the war the service, armed service, uh, it, to, to kind of placate or get a, just a little bit of satisfaction from just sitting quietly and listening to his jazz albums or something. So, but this is the scenario that ultimately all of us have to realize that what we thought of as our childhood or our young adulthood or our adult life, it's all mind, it's all a projection of beliefs. You perceive what you believe. And to the extent that you believe in, in pain, hurt, suffering, lack, to the extent you believe in the ego, of course the world is going to reflect that back. Because the world itself is just neutral. It's like, like looking into a mirror and having everything in your mind reflected back to you. As, except, as I've been talking about the last several weeks, if it's the whole world is being generated from the secret dream, that Jesus calls it the dream you dream in secret, the unconscious mind, then the dream that you gave away, which we're seeing this, this uh, family scenario, this is just reflecting back what's in the mind. And it seems as if it's being done to the main character. The main character being the one that you call yourself on planet Earth. The one that seems to be perceiving this world, even though the body's not the perceiver, the body is just part of perception. And all of perception is, is the projection of the, the wrong mind, Jesus talks about. Or this belief in separation. That's why all of the specifics of the entire perception are all idols. Because that's the definition of fragmented perception. It's just the belief in specifics that seem to exist in and of themselves. And then with this whole context, then you start to realize that that whatever is experienced is just is acted out as if it's being done to you. So little Reginald, you know, who seems to have all this intuitive music ability, um, who's even there in the twelve-step meeting described himself, you know, as a as basically a happy child. Uh, he still obviously has this feeling of, of wanting and expecting love. And that's where the song comes in. I want love. He wants love from his father. He wants love from his mother. He wants love from his family, from his friends. This is the definition of a sleeping mind that believes in idolatry. It's looking out side itself to the dream characters and the dream situations to provide the love. They can't. They're, they're reflections of it. They're reflections of mind, but they aren't causes in and of themselves. Even when we look and we think, well, I can tell the difference between a, spite, a spiteful, hateful look or a spiteful, hate, hateful behavior and a loving, kind, gentle behavior and glance. And as you go through your experiences on planet Earth, it seems pretty reasonable that you can divide the world up into the loving behaviors and 
the hateful or, or fearful or guilty behaviors. And yet, what Jesus is teaching us is that is not how it works. For most human beings, they say, what do you mean? Of course that's how it works. They would say, there's a big difference between Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler. Mother Teresa is a saint, and Hitler is a tyrant. Mother Teresa was loving. She loved babies. She loved old people, young people. She was trying to see the face of Christ, the face of Jesus in everyone that she met. And Hitler was trying to exterminate people that weren't part of the Aryan race. He was a killer. What do you mean? He was a mass murderer. And Mother Teresa was a saint. What do you mean? Those two images are as different as night and day. And Jesus says, well, the split that you believe in, the split, the belief in the ego is in your mind, it's not in the world. And you divide the world up into witnesses of love and witnesses of hate. And maybe in some cases you have a lot more witnesses of hate than you do of the love. In little Reginald's life, you know, is, what, is that his aunt or the, the woman that's taking him? Grandmother. grandmother? Maybe grandmother? Grandmother? She's like smiling and looking out for him and saying that you don't get many chances in life. This is one of them. You know, you got to take your chances. She seems to be like the witness. She's like Lillian was in my life. You know, she's like the, she's the, the seeming saving grace. And then, but Jesus is saying, wait a minute, you have a fragmented perception because you have a split mind. You are drawing forth mixed reflections because of the split in your mind. Because you're vacillating every moment between love and fear or love and hate, then you're going to draw forth in this crystal ball of just, it's just a mirror reflecting your mind, you're going to draw forth conflicting witnesses. And at one point in the course, I remember the first time I read it in the text, he said it seems the, the conflict seems to play out as witnesses of love and witnesses of fear. And he says, brother, they are the same. They are the same. That is the most counterintuitive statement I have ever heard. They are the same. Mother Teresa and, and Hitler are the same. Yeah, how is that? That is the most counterintuitive thing I've ever heard. And Jesus says that is a hundred percent intuitive declaration because when your mind is whole, when you have released the ego, when you've released the fear and the guilt and the shame and the pain that you believe in, then you'll see an entirely different world. You'll see that you weren't seeing at all. You were looking in a very dark glass through a very cracked filter. Uh, but you were looking through a lens of both, you were trying to see both love and fear um, acted out. and. And it will never work. Basically, Jesus is saying you will, you will never find peace of mind if you continue to believe in the, the Holy Spirit and the ego. I remember St. Francis used to always say this over and over, and, I, and he was just quoting the Bible. 
And basically, it was, you can, no man can serve two masters. And, and it's often quoted, you cannot serve both God and money. That's good too. Throw that in there too, that's as good. Because money is just a symbol that the ego made up, and now it's going to try to use the money as part of its specialness plan to generate more guilt and more fear and more shame and pain. And basically, you cannot serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. The, the mind that serves both love and fear is a split mind. And ultimately, spiritual awakening is nothing more than seeing that that is absolutely impossible. That's why Jesus just uses this teaching device as right mind, wrong mind, only so that you can come to finally go, ah, I got it. The right mind is, is where the forgiveness is. That's, that's what's possible for me to perceive a forgiven world, a happy dream, and everything else was impossible. Absolutely impossible. Why? Because God didn't create it. And, and also because a split mind isn't even close to God's oneness. A split mind is, is basically saying there is no God or generating a false God, uh, anthropomorphic God that, that punishes some people and sometimes God is in a good mood. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, you know, in the Bible, you, if you hang in there with you reading the Old Testament, you know, it's like, oh, God's showing favor on this one. And God showed favor. And God showed favor. And then, oh boy, if you cross that Judeo-Christian God, you're in big trouble. You get zapped, burned, you know, disintegrated if you are not in God's favor. So, no wonder people grow up like Bill Maher, who want to eliminate God and Jesus from the language because they just were just abhorred. They, they were horrified by this uh, God that's like always watching over you. I mean, you know, that Judeo-Christian God, Bill Maher makes a good lifetime career of, as a comedian poking fun at that God. And I laugh at his jokes too, because I think they're funny. I think, yeah, that's not the real God, and those are funny, funny jokes. You know, people say, what are you doing, David? You're laughing at an atheist jokes. I do, I laugh because I know that if I believed in that kind of God, I might do the same kind of things that he's doing. I might even make, make more jokes. But, but I can see that that's how he's dealing with his, the perception, you know, who wants to... And then you go through all these years, you grow up and you become an adult, and then, then you hear a song uh, on the radio, and it's got a nice soft melody, and you're like falling. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. You know, from a distance. Oh, that's, a, that's really weird. What is God, some kind of a voyeur? He's just watching on planet Earth. It's people, ooh, look at there, they're having some good time. Have some good, ooh, there's a plague over there, but ooh, there, oh, that's nice over there. Oh, the Yankees won the World Series, that's good. Oh, but that's uh, starving children in Africa. Oh, you know, that's absurd. God does not know of time and space. God is the creator of reality. 
Love is everywhere. God is everywhere. And if you don't experience God as being everywhere and everything, then you really have to take a look at the split mind thing that Jesus is talking about. Because he's, he's written it out over 31 chapters, 365 lessons, a manual for teachers and a clarification of terms. And he's telling us what psychologists and psychiatrists have been telling us about split mind, psychosis, schizophrenia, you know, you, it's the same thing that the medical profession is talking about, except Jesus is, is talking about it as, you just believe in this. It's not real. It's not real. God didn't create it. You just believe it. So when we watch this movie, it's just fantastic because you see little Reginald there. He's just, he just wants to have a happy life and he wants to know love, and, and yet that is the plight of the sleeping mind. The mind that has forgotten God has forgotten what love is. It's so pushed out of awareness that now it's looking into the perceptual world which the ego made, the darkened glass, and it's looking for scraps, just for scraps. Imagine going to a restaurant, you can't afford to have a meal, so you just have to walk around and look inconspicuous, and then if something falls off the table, you pick it off the floor as a scrap, like the dogs do, like the birds who take the, Slavis feeds the birds every day. Birds are so happy, they're like looking for a little scrap from Svava. You know, the scraps, that's all this world is scraps. And then, you know, people try to turn those scraps into big things, you know, oh, I found the one. The one what? I found the one scrap that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Ha ha. I'm going to marry that scrap and I am going to have a wonderful time with that scrap and I'm going to, we're going to grow old like two scraps with white hair and we're just going to do the on golden pond thing and then we're eventually, well, I guess we, scraps have to die. You know, it, it's not a good story. It's, I don't care how you dress it up. It, you can dress it up with all the romance and, and flowers and rice and white dresses and make that wedding day to be all that it is. It's, it's hypothetical. Weddings between two bodies. I don't care if they're male, female, two dogs getting married. I don't care. B bodies, bodies, bodies. These are hypothetical. It's like, and Jesus is saying, come on now. Come on now, I told you, this is a world of idols. Seek not outside yourself, for it will fail, and you will weep each time an idol falls. It's like Jesus is saying, how many times are you going to play this out? Are you going to play it over and over and over and over, seeking for idols, looking for love in all the wrong places, too many faces, too many specifics? He's got, you've got way too many specifics going on to try to find a happy dream. I mean, I, it's funny, 34 years with the Course, when I, I meet people around the world in the 44 countries, and they said, David, I found my happy dream. I'm always like, yes? And then they start telling me about the specifics of their happy dream. Oh, that's not the happy dream. You know, I found just the right spouse, I found, I've got a, I, the house, I've got the 
green lawn. I can I, I fertilizer and I get, got sh- china and you should see the decor I have and and this and this and then I get to do this and I can go on the home shopping network and buy whatever and da, 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 da. and it's I found my happy dream that you know when you put the word my in front of it that's oh that's a that's a clue right there my happy dream. The, let's talk about the happy dream, is a, a dream of non-judgment. It's a dream of no preferences. It's a dream of no comparison. It's, it's happy because it's so still that it's beyond the possibility of judgment or comparison. It's beyond the possibility of evaluation. It's beyond the possibility of, of gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, the one thing missing from the happy dream that, that is in the fragmented dream is in the mind of the fragmented dream there's this concept and it's called more. More. More money, more health, more fitness, more skills, more abilities, more sex appeal, more intelligence, more, 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 more. What is an idol, Jesus says, in the Course, do you think you know? And then he goes on later on to say, an idol is for more of something. It does not matter more of what. Wow! So what he's saying is, you're praying for happiness. And Jesus says, yeah, that's your, that's your inheritance. Good, good. Pray for happiness. You're praying for peace. Good. That's a great thing to pray for. Pray for Love, pray for joy. He's like saying, those are all your inheritance. You are all those things. Right now, you are all those things. And when you believe that you have to do something to get those things, then you are believing in idolatry. If you already have and are something, why would you need to get these things? If you already are these things. The thing is, the ego says, look out into this darkened glass and try to think of a person, place, thing, situation, something that if you get it, own it, possess it, bring it into awareness, some specific scenario or thing or person, that you will be happy. And Jesus is telling us, it just doesn't work that way. God created you as happy. But you have to see that the idol is not the specific thing, but it's the belief in the mind that specifics are possible. It's the belief that's underneath the specifics is, is where the idolatry really is. The specific things are just projections. They're just like watching a movie on a screen and you've got to get back into the, the projector room and you've got to get back inside the projector. You've got to get to that film of shadows, because that film of shadows is egoic. It's, it's shadows. It's called shadow for a reason, because it, it, it's dark, there, and it, when the light tries to pass through the film, it comes out on the screen as, as a shadow world. It's a shadow dream world. But the guilt is in the belief that you don't have everything already, that you want something more. That's why even the ego doesn't mind if you believe in the law of attraction as long as you, you misuse it. As long as you try to use the law of attraction to manifest things 
then you don't even see that you're right down the barrel of the ego's gun. Uh, because you're a spirit, and if you're trying to manifest things to improve your life, you're trying to make a, a world where you have more of something. More health, more, more anything, fill in the blank. It, that's the, the problem is where the adultery is in the mind. And that's why in the Song of Prayer, Jesus says, the secret of true prayer is to forget the things that you think you need. Wow, if that's not the opposite of manifesting, I have never heard anyone on planet Earth who's talking about manifesting say, okay everybody, sit down, you know, whoever, Tony Robbins or a motivational speaker now, we're going to start off with one principle. Forget the things you think you need. Huh? What? I just paid $3,000 to come in here and to have you tell me, forget the things I think I need? Are you telling me what I need? Well, no, Jesus doesn't mean that. He's saying, if you are thinking you need things, you believe in the ego and you won't be happy. You won't know who you are. You won't find heaven. Discover the reality of heaven if you believe in the ego. So, these are really deep teachings, but I think this is a fantastic movie because we're just watching little Reginald right here and little Reggie just is singing, I want love and, and isn't that the song of the whole human condition? And now even though it's little Reggie singing it, um, wow, that's a killer. I mean as you watch his life go along, it's just going to play out. He's going to be wanting that love and looking for that love in so many things of this world. And it will come down ultimately to uh, drug addiction, suicide, it will just be all the things that the world says are these scary things. But it's the belief in the mind in idolatry that is what is generating the fear. It is nothing to do with the images in the world. We're going to get to see a lot of them through Elton's uh, life, but it's just remember when you watch these images, it's it's not the images that are the problem. It's not it's not his mother that's a problem. It's not his father. It's not his his manager that's the problem. It's it's not the world that's the problem. It's the it's the wanting more in the mind, the ego's belief of wanting more that is insatiable, and that's what draws forth the images of this world. That's where all guilt is generated, just in that one single belief, I want more, including in this song, I want love, as if it isn't already a reality. All right. Well, I know you've been waiting to hear my interpretation of rock and roll. <laughs> it's so funny for me, I go on Facebook and now I see these different polls of what would you like to see David interpret? Uh, and they've got all these different shows, uh, what's it, Lost and all kinds of different things they want to see. But let's, let's just hone it down to rock and roll. You know, when the mind falls asleep and comes here, it's got a lot of aggravation, this is a word that got used in that song, 
aggravation, frustration. No, maybe that's being a little too kind. Rage. Rage. There's a lot of rage in the sleeping mind. And it, it's looking for relief from that rage. It's looking for temporary relief from that rage. It's actually even looking for distraction from that rage. And so, you can tell with, with that song we just sung, Saturday nights, nights all right for fighting. Let's just look at the lyrics. <laughs> Everyone goes, oh I love that song. I said, well let's take a look at the lyrics. Now don't get too mesmerized by rock and roll. But wait a minute, Elvis, the Beatles, I know there's some love songs in there, but let's not get too mesmerized by rock and roll. You know, we, we also could talk about heavy metal and there's a few other things you can bring in. If you want to bring in rock and roll, let's look at a comprehensive look. But there's just a lot of rage underneath and frustration at not finding the love that's being looked for, not finding the the peace is looked for, the satisfaction, and therefore it is a world of substitutes. So as the Madonna song says, the substitute for love, the world is a projection of many, many, many substitutes, and even music is, uh, you might say, uh, co-opted or taken, taken over by the ego, where it it doesn't so much mind if you avoid the rage, if you avoid the fear, if you avoid the guilt. It doesn't so much mind if you repress the fear, the guilt, and the rage. It doesn't even mind if you minimize the fear, guilt, and the rage. But basically, it wants you to be enamored and mesmerized and distracted by the world. And there's a great, I have to make a commentary on that because because he's, you might say he's just venting or acting out a lot of frustration that is pent up. And for teenagers, young adults, I mean even for children, but when you get to be teenage, young adult, there's, there's a lot of, of things stirring in the mind. In fact, Jesus says the mind is so powerful it, it never truly sleeps. It may generate these illusions and these fantasies, but Wow, that's a powerful mind. And, and boom, I like it how they show it's a dance number. They're all dancing on the streets and they're fighting and beers and, you know, it's like, a, what, what city was that? Ken, do we know? Uh, London. London. You know, there's London. Growing up in London. And, you know, it's just acting out, acting out, acting out because what? The mind is just doesn't, it doesn't know what it's looking for and it hasn't zoomed in on on anything that we could call true alignment at this point, but but it's just acting out these these things. So, so and then the last part was they do it, they perform it on a stage and everything, and here they get signed. What is it? Two quid a week. What's two quid? Uh, two, oh, two dollars, two and a half dollars. About two and a half to three dollars per person. <laughs> you notice how their eyebrows went up? You know, per person, two quid per person. Ooh, let's let's talk. <laughs> you know. Two and a half dollars. What would that be in pesos? That's about fifty pesos. Sixty pesos. Ooh, <laughs> you know. but a week. <laughs> but you see, this is where the ego comes in with the getting mechanism of earning a living. 
you see? Because in its dream world, money is valuable. Why is money valuable? Because it's exchangeable for other projections of idols. You can have more projections of idols if you have more money. There you go. There you go, Esther. You know, that's what's behind your, all your questions about, about that inheritance. More projections of idols. When you get older, even, even more and more and more. And then, it, of course, the ego says, you want to have a lot of projections of that money stuff at the end. Because when you die, you have to have a coffin and you've got to get buried somewhere. So, you know, it, and then when, then when you die, Jesus says, the ego will pursue you beyond the grave. Oh, like Freddy Krueger. This, this death wish doesn't even mind if your body dies. It will, it's going to keep tormenting your mind on and on and on and on because it's a death wish. It's an idol maker. It generates idols. That's all it knows. It doesn't know what love is. It doesn't know what God is. And so that's why forgiveness is so important. That's why the present moment is so very important because until you give yourself over to it and experience yourself as the present moment, then, then what's your alternative? Suffer, die, suffer, die, suffer, die. And, and the ego will throw in some ooh-la-la to try to spice it up a little bit. But it's basically a spicy, suffer-and-die saga. Uh, that's, that's all time and space is. It's a suffer-and-die saga with a little spice thrown in here and there. And you know, that's why don't it's not so good to just celebrate the spice. Celebrate the forgiveness. Celebrate the present moment. That's why Eckhart is chuckling. Because it's like he's in on a secret. He's, got, he's come into awareness of something and he's like, ha, 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 ha. Because it's, it's actually funny. <laughs> the world is funny from that perspective. But you have to be in the moment to really laugh. Otherwise, even that, that comedy, the ego can make up its own comedy. It's called put-down humor, you know, put-down humor, or sometimes, what was it, like the Three Stooges, it's more like slapstick. You know, I look back, I mean, I've watched the Three Stooges now, and I think, wow, three guys just beating up on each other with people laughing all the time. I, I was like, wow, that, that is amazing. But that shows you how the ego can even substitute for humor. It can even try to, you know, slaps and kicks and slaps and bonks on the head and knocking people over and the people ha 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 well the ego has even got its own substitute humor uh, to prevent the gentle Eckert ha 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 you know that's that it doesn't want you to reach that state because then there's no ego but it it's very ingenious at trying to come up with these hypotheticals so Let's go. Now that we've uh, dismantled rock and roll, let's, let's go on. Here we go. This is Holy Spirit. Into this dark, dark projected dream world, there come meetings, holy encounters, synchronicities that are really answering the prayer of the heart. You know, when, when Elton, even as a, a boy, was saying, I want love, you know, that prayer did not go unanswered. In fact, you notice in the movie when the, when the envelope, out of all those envelopes, was being passed across to, to Elton, the, cam the, the film even slowed down to capture that moment. Uh, 
because that moment was, was a miracle. That moment is how these collaborations start. There you have a, a very vibrational connection and now he's meeting a man who will be his mighty companion all through his life. Uh, beyond all of the distractions, the pains, the heartaches, in that moment, they even slowed the, the, the film down to, to emphasize how important that is. And that's part of the plan of awakening. It's not simply that you just meditate all day, it's that there are prearranged contacts. There's a prearranged plan that is unfolding and it seems to be new every day, but it's, there's nothing by accident, there's nothing by chance, there's nothing lucky or fortunate or unfortunate and unlucky. Every single detail. I can let you in on a little secret, but it took me a while before I finally realized that. But Jesus is behind everything. He is behind absolutely everything that you experience. And this plan is a, a spectacular plan, but through the ego's lens you don't see it. You, you don't know it, you don't see it, you aren't aware of it. It just seems to be full of heartaches, frustrations, doubts, grievances, fears, annoyances, and that's because the ego is judging, 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 and it's trying to justify itself. It, that's what it is. It's a judgmental thought and it's trying to use the projected images of the world to always judge. Judge, judge, judge. There's no instant in a day where the ego is not trying to add something on or change something in form or complain about something or wish something was different or wish something would change because it doesn't know the present moment and in the present moment all things work together for good. In the present moment, there, there's this harmony, there's this spontaneous flow. Everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. It's this wondrous, wondrous experience. And in that place, when you come to that place, you realize, wow, Jesus, you were behind everything, that, everything that occurred. There was really never anything good or bad in, the, in this projection, but it was you. You were behind it all. And, and when you tune into that purpose, that's why the smallest book that I ever wrote was called Purpose is the Only Choice. And people say, why, why is the smallest one the most impactful? Because it just cuts right to the core. It says, what is it for, the purpose that you give to everything, makes it what it is. If you have the ego in mind and you use the ego's purpose, then you're going to be looking for more from this world. More money, more satisfaction, more pleasure, more achievement, you know, conquering things, overcoming things, building things. No, 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 no. More, 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 more. That, that purpose never brings happiness, it never brings contentment, never brings peace. And then there is Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the present moment just saying, come on inside here, come into this moment where we exist, where you exist, where everything exists, and, and feel the peace of this moment. So 
it won't go on here, but now you see the spark of how the plan seems to be uh, unfolding. Because if there's a prayer in the heart, that means, you know, the plan is always right there, right in this moment, but, but you don't see it, you don't recognize it, if, if you are into this linear time uh, dysfunction, this misperception, it's not recognized, even though it's just so, so present and obvious. Friends of Dick. Well, you know, we uh, number one in the survey was unworthiness and inferiority. So the ego's got to come up with an answer, a substitute to handle those feelings of unworthiness and inferiority. So one of the things it uses is fame. It's like the pendulum, you know, if you feel unworthy and you feel less than, not enough and inferior, the ego can just kick that pendulum to the other side. In this case with Elton, it's, it's a troubadour. Um, I don't know if some of you might be familiar with that. That place is like where all the, the famous ones go, play, get discovered, and, and explode in popularity and fame. So this is like, that's what temptation is. It's the wish to make illusions real. It's not that seemingly becoming known as the world uh, says that you're known and famous. You know, there's, there have been people, there's actually a lot of, of actors, actresses and everything that basically, uh, they basically reach a certain point with Hollywood and the fame and the status and so on and so forth that they, they basically say, hmm, this is not really offering a satisfaction to my soul. It's not offering me a sense of peace and value and everything. I, I remember this, uh, anybody remember the movie Urban Cowboy with uh, John Travolta and Deborah Winger? Boom! Big hit! Huge hit! And then Travolta, John Travolta went on and on with his career and his Scientology and all kinds of different things. And then Deborah Winger, boom! You know, she once you're in a big hit you become known and famous, but at some point she just said, this is not really serving me, this is not my purpose on, on earth, this is my, not my life. And then she just dropped out. She just dropped out of Hollywood. In fact, years later they made a movie called Searching for Deborah Winger. <laughs> you know, when they make a movie called Searching for and put your name in it, uh, that's, that just shows you how much she just dropped out. Then I was trying to think of, um, who's the one that just, there's, there's been some more that just recently have dropped out and, and basically they, they basically said it was unfulfilling. It was not the direction that they wanted to go. So fame is, is like something that has to be seen past and seen through because if you identify with the body identity and uh, it starts to explode. It's really this trap of trying to make an illusion real, trying to make a personality self real and try to pump up or magnify or exaggerate the personality self. And 
it's just, it's an, it's idolatry, it's an idol, but it's just gone, run, run wild. It's like an idol, an idol wish on steroids. I mean, it just explodes. And, you know, we see what's happened, what happened to Marilyn Monroe, suicidal. What happened to Elvis Presley? You know, you can go down the list, the ones, sometimes the bigger, the more the fame seemed to be in the world, the harder it was to handle drugs, alcohol, all kinds of problems that were more subconscious problems are magnified because they feel like there's an expectation that you have to live up to something. Once you become famous, you got to keep keep the the image alive, keep it in the forefront, and so on and so forth. So basically, going from London, flying across the Atlantic and flying to Hollywood, L.A., and going to play at the Troubadour, and uh, his uh, manager saying, you know, put on a, a show, you know, and don't, don't uh, kill yourself with drugs. An interesting, almost uh, prophecy. Put on a good show. I won't use all the language, but, the, but, but don't kill yourself with drugs. And the thing about it is, it's such a huge temptation. It's not, again, the, the, the fame in and of itself doesn't mean anything in reality, because you can't, if everything is one mind, there is no such thing as a famous mind. Famous to who? Famous to what? It's just one mind is one mind, and that's all that there really is. But, but it's this idea underneath that, that you are lacking something, and if you attain, achieve, accomplish, possess, own something or other, of something of the world, that you'll be better, or you'll be more than you were, that is the ego's way of overcoming worthlessness, a belief in worthlessness, a belief in inferiority with something else. Another, it's a trade-off of another image that's supposed to be better. And people say to me, but let's be honest, David, let's be serious, you know. People say, it's better to be rich than poor. Is it? You know. What, does, what is better? What is worse? You know, you have to realize, like I was talking about the, the images of the world. Well, there's Hitler and Mother Teresa, and they can't possibly be the same. There's actually a state of mind that looks upon the world in contentedness and sees the sameness of the world. It doesn't divide the world up into the good, the bad forms, the right, the wrong forms, the beautiful, the ugly forms. It doesn't divide the world up into the rich and poor forms. It doesn't divide it up into gender, uh, race, culture. All these things are made up by the ego. All these things, prejudice, all these things that people think are the problems with the human race, they are the ego. And Jesus is saying, let go that ego. Let go of that ego. Let go of the belief in that ego. That ego belief is a death wish. And if you hold on to that death wish, you are denying your Christ reality. So, I, I like these themes because um, this really shows you that the temptation is to perceive differences. Uh, what is the temptation but a, a wish to make illusions real? How do you make illusions real? If they're all the same, 
than by arranging them in hierarchies and judging some is better, some is worse. That's how you make illusions real. Not in reality, not in heaven, because there aren't any illusions, but in the mind, if you evaluate, if you prefer, if you put, oh, these are the good images and these are the bad images, the beautiful images, the ugly images, this versus that, even here or there, that's, who says here or there? If God is everywhere, then what does here or there even mean? Uh, and is it better to be here than there? You know, you see it's the comparison mechanism in the mind that's where the problem is. It's not in the images. It's, it's the comparison, the evaluation, the judgment of the images is where the distortion enters. So, this is good. I mean, in one sense, it's orchestrated. Bernie and Elton have come together. They, they, it's like a magic when they bring Elton's music and Bernie's lyrics together. You can feel it. You could see it when, when your song was played for the first time in his robe, in, in his living room at the piano. The, the grandmother, the mother, Bernie, all, everything stopped. Like, whoa, there's something coming through here. There's a miracle coming through. And that's, that's going to be important because all this darkness is going to come up. And the seeming fame is just going to bring it up even faster to the surface. It's like taking a stick of dynamite down in your unconscious mind. You light the wick. Boom! Ah! <laughs> you know. Here's Elton with his sheltered life, even though we would, you know, growing up in London is probably not that sheltered, but when you go to Hollywood, the troubadour, watch out, you're lighting a stick of dynamite because the seeming images are just going to be exploding all over. And, you know, he starts off with, what, two quid, and then I'll pay you ten quid, and then he lands in the land of the millionaires and the billionaires, and then, whoa, that's a stick of dynamite. So we have money going to come toward him, fame's going to come towards him, recognition, that feeds the ego's pride. You know, you're gonna, it's, that's why it's a dynamite. It's going to start feeding these unconscious secret dream desires of, of the ego, and they're going to explode. And then, how do you handle that psychologically? You know, he's not going to the troubadour after train, training for years in Vipassana, doing yoga, doing all the spiritual practices, 10, 15 years of A Course in Miracles, nothing I see means anything. I have given everything I see all the meaning, you know. He doesn't have a spiritual practice. All he's got is, I want love, da da da, you know. <laughs> well, that's what he goes like. Come on, you want love? <laughs> Come over to my crystal ball in Hollywood and let's just see how you handle it. So he's not coming to Hollywood with a, a very strong, deep spiritual practice and a de deep, devoted life. He's not coming <laughs> like Mother Teresa. He does, he's not had his case of Mother Teresa-itis. He's coming over there, I want love. He's, he's noticing he's got homosexual tendencies. He even tried to lean in and kiss Bernie. He said, I love you, man. Not in that way. He's got tendencies starting to come up. And now he's going to the land where, whoa, his bodies everywhere. Money, bodies, all, I mean, everything is just in a huge excesses available. 
drugs, cocaine, weed, all, everything. And he's, he's this little London boy that's going over to the troubadour. And, and, and so the ego is, it always tries to exaggerate a false self-concept to move you into the direction of, of like ego and aggrandizement, you know, instead of the grandeur and the simplicity of heaven, which is so still and simple in the moment, there's the grandiosity of exploding temptations to believe, I can make a better self, I can, I can make a better life for myself, I can make more money, I can live in a bigger house, I can drive fancy cars, I can have any relationship I want. I can do this, this, this. The ego's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, come over here. Look at this. And Elton's just at this point in the movie where he's, he's already been dealing with his emotions, but now he's, he's, he's going to see there's a, a need for healing, a need for forgiveness, and definitely a need for mind training as we go on. There, there is no greater trap uh, in terms of the ego's world, then the special relationship and the special love relationship. Uh, basically, the, I told you the ego splits the world up into love and hate. Symbols of love, witnesses of love, witnesses of hate. And then everyone who comes to this world of time and space, they always count the witnesses of love and hate. Maybe they, they do it in their mind, but they're always looking for more of those witnesses of love. But, because, but they're looking for love, and the mind is no more susceptible than when it starts to feel sadness, loneliness, depression, disconnection, isolation. Um, and you can see in this particular scene, he's going in a new scene, and all this whole party going on at Mama Cass's, and and basically, when Bernie goes off, then it's like this is when this is just an example of when you start to feel the unconscious darkness, and when that unconscious darkness comes up, this is an opportunity to feel it fully and to forgive it and to let it pass through like passing clouds. But the ego will want you to find a distraction, a substitute, something else on the screen to focus on when you feel bad. The mind is most susceptible when it, when it feels this sadness and this darkness, you know, and that's why people sometimes they turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol, they turn to all types of, of distractions because the intensity of that darkness is so strong. It's been there all along. It's been there through childhood and now here it is. He's just come out, he's just performed at the Troubadour and Bernie just gave him a big kiss on the cheek and said, let's live here forever. <laughs> Bernie is like, Bernie was actually raised on a farm. We got a farm boy who's going into Los Angeles and the Troubadour. That's basically what's happened. And Bernie's eyes are this big. You know, they're just like, let's live here forever. 
know. And then Elton's just looking like, oh. And and then at this moment, this this we will see the the beginning and the middle and the playing out of the special love, special hate relationship. And it is by far the ego's greatest weapon. You think you've faced the demons and the darkness inside your mind. You haven't seen nothing like the ego's generated, projected special relationship. It looks so alluring. It looks like the best substitute to recover that feeling of worthlessness. What's that's one of our thing? Worthlessness, anger. What else we got? Fear of punishment, uh, inferiority. Whoa, ego's going to throw in. I have got just the thing for all those issues. I've got a love relationship that is so suited to your preferences, you're going to forget all about that anger. You're going to forget all about that inferiority. You're going to forget all about, what's the other one? Fear of punishment. Fear of punishment, yeah. We don't get to see too many movies, but this one's got everything in. We're going to see it all. But the thing about it is, it's such a luring thing. Jesus says in the Course, you've come so close to heaven, you're almost home. You just have one more obstacle to forgive and overcome, and that's the special love relationship. Special hate relationships, you know, many of us have, have seen, that's pretty intense. I, I actually do get calls and people write into me where they're sometimes suicidal and they've just had a really, really, really dark life. Like they, they'll call me and they say, I don't even know if I can go, want to go on and live. It's just so dark. It's so pitch black dark. And there's so much, they say, David, there's just so much hatred in the world. It's just so black. I mean, I, maybe suicide isn't the answer, but anything is better than this blackness and darkness that I'm in. And that's the special hate relationship. And obviously the mind knows that there must be something more than this. There must be some kind of escape. There must be something higher than that darkness, because it's pitch black. Like the unconscious mind, Jesus says, is draped with sin, is the exact words that Jesus uses in the Course. Draped with sin. Well, now the special love relationship seems to shimmer Shimmer, 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 it's shiny. Jesus says, it's, it's tears sparkle like diamonds. Ooh, tears and diamonds? Jesus is really using some strong graphical words here. It's tears sparkle like diamonds. It's blood is like rubies. Blood, rubies, you know, he's using some strong symbols there. Blood turned into rubies, tears that sparkle like diamonds, shine like diamonds. He's basically saying, oh, it's very clever, it's a very clever disguise, but it offers you what you believe you're missing. And that's the problem, is the belief in that you're, you're not whole and complete. That's the separation, that's what the secret dream is all about. The belief that you're so dark inside, and the ego says, well, then look outside. Uh, and why does the ego say, look outside? It says, well, you don't want to go in. Because you think it's black, it's darker than you think. And what's behind that darkness is God. And God's going to punish you for separating. Don't, the ego says, don't think you can just get away with it. 
uh, you can just separate from God and you think God's just going to be all kissy and rosy and oh yeah, yeah that's what Jesus taught us, the prodigal son, the father would run down, out, run down the road to welcome the, the prodigal son, the one who had seemed to throw his, his inheritance away. The father runs down the road, greets him, throws a robe on him, puts sandals on his feet, says, come. And then his jealous brother, who's a goody-two-shoes, did everything, goody-two-shoes, everything that Papa wanted, you know, gets really jealous because, you know, he's like, I've done everything. I've done everything right. And now this one who squandered away all of his inheritance and riotous living, and he's coming, he's feeding the pigs, and now you bring this pig feeder back into the house. He smells, he's, he's blown all his money and riotously liquor and women, and, and now you're just going to treat him like he's done nothing wrong? Yes, the father you know, finally has to tell the oldest son, your brother was lost and now he's found. Like, I found my son. There's nothing greater treasure than knowing my son. And, and in fact, that's Jesus' teaching. You have to overlook all of time and space. None of that story about riotous living, about blowing the inheritance, none of it matters. You get back to the present moment and it's all wiped. Why? Because God didn't create time and space. God didn't make up these stories of, of abandonment, of neglect, of, of victimization, of betrayal. None of them. God has nothing to do with any of those stories of linear time. The present moment, innocence, innocence, purity, innocence, innocence. So, I'm just bringing this up, I have to lead in because Elton is going to fall into the deepest pit, the deepest, darkest pit ever. And the funny thing about the first steps into the pit is you think they're carpeted with gold. You actually feel like you are, you have finally found it. You throw your hands up, oh my God, there is a God. <laughs> no, that's not what's happening here. This is the first steps down the pit. And yet, if you don't know it, you know, did anybody ever read uh, Dante's Descent into Hell? You know, Dante wrote about going down, and Jesus kind of plays off of Dante. He said, take not one step on the twisted stairway that leads away from heaven. For having taken the first step, you will not recognize the rest, and yet they shall surely follow. Oh my God! Jesus has got his own Dante's descent into hell describing it. Going down, a, a, a descending down into hell and not knowing what you're doing. Taking steps where you think, there is a God in heaven, I have found the love of my life, and you don't realize you're taking steps down into the darkest, deepest pit that the ego can offer. It's ultimate weapon. It's like, oh, you're, you've come close to heaven, now, now you're a Course in Miracles student. The ego goes, no problem, I'll get you. Just come over to these stairs and just, here, here's a nice step for you. Take it right here. And you see, even if you're a Course in Miracles student, it doesn't care. 
Ego doesn't care. Maybe you've read the book for four years, ten years. It doesn't care. It's, it's like, no, I'm confident I'll get you. Just if I can just get you to... <laughs> how many years? <laughs> He's putting up all the numbers. It doesn't care how many years you've read the course. It's like, come on over here. Just, that's it. Just walk right over here. Now here's a little step. Doesn't that look sweet? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Just take your step right here. Step right up. <laughs> that's what they used to say in the circus, you know. Step right up. Well, that's what the ego says. Step over here. So, I'm, I'm just giving this because this is not going to be pretty to watch, but this is a teaching device. That's why we're watching this movie. This is not for entertainment. Believe me, if you want entertainment, you probably should go to another movie than be in it with me. But this is actually a teaching device to save you thousands of years to get back to the present moment. And that's what's important, you know, that's what Jesus wants from us. So, here we go. I don't even remember the guy's name, but <laughs> I don't think Elton <laughs> cares to remember his name either, but here he comes. Don't bet on you. 63 is a good vintage. Okay, I want you to be able to recognize the first step of the twisted road that leads away from heaven, that takes you down into the descent into deeper and deeper darkness and hell, is basically, you know, when he first met him, he said, you can have, you can have anything you want, and now he comes over to, uh, to England, and the voice comes through and says, think big. You can invent yourself however you want to invent yourself. You can be whatever you want to be. There's no limit to the things that you can try and try again. It's, it's quite an enticing uh, plan of the ego because it offers all the diversity of time and space, all the seeming options and all the seeming choices. More fame equals more money. More money? You can buy more things. Travel, meet people, do things, buy things, own things, experiment. More clothes, more this, more hairstyles, more everything. You know, you, that's the step down the twisted stairway towards hell. That's how you can recognize it, is because it always offers you more. And it tells you you can be anything that you want to be. You can, it's, he's literally been telling that. I mean, you could take notes on this movie if you take the, the lyrics down that comes through. You can be anything that you want to be. It's just that when the mind is asleep and it believes it's separated from God and it forgot heaven, it's got an amnesia going on so it doesn't remember God, it doesn't know what it wants. And the ego is like, come on over here and look into my crystal ball of images. And you can be what you want to be, you can change yourself, you can change for the better, and you can just get better and better and have better images life and better images and better and better and better. And basically there even are people that go on the spiritual journey that are somewhat sincere and they, they start to believe in the power of the mind, but then the ego hooks them and still gets them to take a step on the stairs, even though they're spiritually oriented, because some of you heard about the New Age, 
And the New Age teaching is you can create your own reality. It's a very metaphysical idea. It's using the law of attraction, the secret, create your own reality. You know, Benettino teaches it, Teal Swan, and there's on and on and on. There's, there's a lot of, it's very popular. Uh, it's a very, the ego is like, come a little closer to my staircase, and spiritually, this is a good deal. It says, please put your foot down on that first step, because you can create your own reality. And, and I, people say, isn't that, sometimes I've had people in all my travels, they go, yeah, the Course is really New Age. Yeah, it teaches that. Doesn't it teach that, David? You create your own reality. I'm like, no. 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 The Course does not teach that. Jesus never teaches you create your own reality. Now, of course that's popular in spirituality, but that'll get you on the step. Ego is like saying, come on over to this step, and you don't have to worry about putting your foot down on this first step, because you can create your own reality. And if you don't like what you create, you just create something else. Oops, step number two. And before you know it, you think you're spiritually evolved and advanced, you're way up in the new age, and you think, oh, I'm way past those fundamental Christians, I'm way past all those dogmatic people and everything, I'm way up here, and, and you don't know it, but you are stepping down on the first and second steps towards hell. Uh, because the ego has got you with the old create your own reality gig. What does Jesus teach? God is the creator of reality. God creates you in spirit. And you can't create your own reality. In fact, I hear hundreds, thousands of spiritual teachers I hear, and I listen to even this, people send me these on Messenger and they say, you can create the world you want. You can create the life you want. Close your eyes, meditate, imagine this and this and this, and it's like, oh my gosh, there's thousands of teachers that teach you can create your own reality. It's a popular, a popular teaching, but it's stepping down on the stairway to hell. And then when you take the next step, like, well, I didn't like what I created, so I'm going to create something else. You don't have an awareness that, that this, is, this is all ego, it's manifesting. If it shows you the power of your mind, it has, has some value, but if you actually start using that reality word, parallel, people tell me, David, there are parallel realities. What? How can, if reality is singular, how can it be parallel? You know? Well, they say, well, okay, it's not parallel, but it's multiple. There's multiple realities. Who's teaching multiple realities? The ego is saying, come on over to my staircase. And it's saying, please take that first step. Because heaven taking the first step, the rest will surely follow, Jesus tells us, uh, even though you, you are unaware of what you're doing. That's the big thing, it's unawareness. That's what sleep involves, that's what unconsciousness involves. There's not awareness, because having taken the first step, the, the rest will surely follow. So, you know, it's fun to watch this movie and just listen to the contents of, that are being spoken here, because, you know, 
you can be anything that you want to be. The voice came through and said, this is the troubadour, you know, you don't even know what's going on. You can, it's almost like saying the world is your oyster. Now you're going to have fame and money and resources and you're going to be able to invent your own reality, create your own reality. And it's very, very, very alluring. And yet, as we see this beautiful dance number, they're really, you know, dressing, you know, it's really good. I love how they really play it out here. They're just showing it as like a fantasy land. And um, that's exactly what it is. It is a fantasy land. Ego just doesn't tell you that it, it invented fantasy land of linear time and space to keep you guilty, to keep you from knowing who you are. It invented idols to keep you from knowing who you are. It invented images to keep you from knowing who you are. If you watch this movie and you feel a little stirred up, then maybe you can go back and read the section that I was just reading. Got my spotlight. Look at that. Oh, there's a good, good angle there. Oh. You can read in this book, in this blue book, the Beyond All Idols section that I was referring to at the beginning and the setup. That really will lift you, take you away from that staircase. <laughs> he goes, Nico doesn't like this Beyond All Idols section because it's like, oh, it's keeping you clear, way far away from that staircase. It doesn't want you to take that step down there. Because, as Jesus says, having taken the first step, the rest will surely follow. So, it's the first time I got to use props on a Wednesday night. <laughs> so, let's go see what, what happens with Elton here. <laughs> Tech support. Okay. We're having, some, we're having a good time here in Mexico. It's fiesta time. <laughs> okay, there we are. It's the purpose. You know, the, the purpose, the ego is seeing to contact the parents, talk to the parents, is career, maintain the image, manage the image for more money, more money, more fame, more success. And, and yet, even Elton is going to visit his dad there and still it's that song on the inside that's the deeper song than all the other songs. That I want love, I, that I want love. Remember, that's what brought the sleeping mind to time and space as its hiding place, was that I, I want love. I'm missing my source. I'm missing my, create, my creations. My, I'm missing heaven. I'm missing home. I'm missing my true self. And then the I want love, you know, it always sets up time and space hypothetical expectations. So here he is going because his manager and lover has said, go and talk to the family. That's very important to talk to the family. But the, the motive is to maintain the image and therefore the motive isn't entirely forgiveness. It's, it's to get something. Uh, there is always a bargain. There's always an attempt by the ego. Hold on to secrets, 
hide things, protect things, to protect the image, protect the fame, protect the fortune, all these things. You know, it's even uh, firing his, his manager and, and, and his, the manager's assistant, uh, basically it's, it's all calculated to maintain an image. That's what the idol is for. Idols were made to maintain a false sense of self and to keep the mind in guilt, wallowing in guilt so that there's no hope of going back to heaven, no hope of divine innocence. The ego is it's a airtight, it's a it's a time space tight uh, vice that the it puts like a it reminds me of um, what is it, World Federation of Wrestling? When the wrestlers get your head in a lock inside your thighs, a headlock, the ego is trying to put, put your mind in a lock that's so tight, it's time-space tight, that you're not going to get off the mat. It's, going to, it's taking you down for the count. And it's going to use the special love relationship to make sure you go down and you stay down. Maybe stay down for a millennium. It doesn't care how many times you play the reincarnation game, as long as you stay down, as long as you stay guilty. So it's pretty, you know, this is a good movie, it's really starting to expose it, because when he was going to visit his dad, if he was just going like they do in 12 steps, when you make your amends, when you're going to forgive the past, to let bygones be bygones, to let it all go, there's a purpose. There's an intention to visit mom and dad, you know, for forgiveness. It's always, the, it always is a huge opportunity to let the past go. And let all thoughts of the future go too. Just, you know, to really go for the present moment is what forgiveness is about. But when he goes there and he brought an album and he's offering to sign it, he's noticing that his dad is not hugging him still, not even shaking a hand, <laughs> so I was like, Did he? he didn't even get a, a handshake at the door. And then when he goes in, he's noticing about the boys, the boys, and he's thinking, yeah, I was a boy. And then the boys come in, they jump all on their dad. They're cuddling with their dad, and he's like watching the whole scene. Then when he goes to sign the autograph, he's too dead. Oh, no, no. And this is for Arthur at work, you know. He's a fan, you know. To the ego, it's like slap, 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 slap. You know, if you go into any situation with expectations of receiving external love, boom, 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 boom. The ego is just going to slap you, your mind around and, and leave you more depressed and feeling more dark and hurt when you leave the situation than when you got there. You know, the ego is not going to give you love. It's going to drag you through the mud of guilt and it's going to drag you by your toes and, and dip your head down in that mud over and over and smash it down into the mud. You know, you need to watch a little World Federation Wrestling if you want to see how the ego likes to, likes to handle your mind. You know, it, it's pretty graphic, but, but actually you can see it with Elton. You know, and then when he gets into the car and he looks back and he sees the boys getting hugged by his father, you know. That's almost like, it's just, it's just stomping on you now. You're in the mud already. You're laying in the mud and it's just going to do a couple big body slams on top of you in the mud. 
you know, that's what it, I mean, psychologically, that's what it feels like for Elton. Like he's like thinking, oh my God, what, what kind of an idea was this? And he hasn't even got to his mom yet. Oh boy, she's going she's gonna to tag team him. Double slam, body slam. The father, that was the easy one. <laughs> this, was, this was the easy one. <laughs> He's, the ego, that's why I said it's the ego's boasted weapon. I mean, it's going to really drag you through the darkness if you go down those steps. So it's just beginning for Elton, but but now, you know, he's doing this for his manager lover, and this is where the expectations come in. He's, oh, he didn't even like firing, was it Roy? You know, he was a nice boy. No, no, it's just a job, no. You see, his considerations aren't, even his loving considerations are pushed aside for a special love relationship. And the special love relationship isn't just the body and the sex, it's the money, it's the fame, it's everything. The ego has, it's like a cobra around his neck. Uh, he doesn't even see it. He thinks he's shooting up this, this, the road to stardom and the ego has got a cobra a hold, it's just wrapped around his neck and his body and, and he doesn't even realize what's happening. And that's the thing that we have to watch these movies. That's why we need the Course. Because if you believe you're gliding down the highway, but in fact you're slip sliding away down into the mud and the murk, then you need help. You, you really need help. Because if you don't recognize what's going on, then it's, it's, it's a double jeopardy. You know, if you're being taken down that stairway and you you think you're on, like Led Zeppelin, the stairway to heaven, and whoops, it's the wrong stairway. You're on the stairway to hell, but you think it's the stairway to heaven. Whoa, double jeopardy. That's, that's a tricky one. So let's go. We're just getting warmed up here now. Uh, the ego has not even begun to show you its weapons and, and show you all its devices. It's just, the dad was the easy one. This was the easy one. <laughs> Now, now he's got to go talk to mom and, uh, and face, uh, oh, she really can give him some wicked turns there uh, as he goes along, but we'll, we'll see. And then you can see when you get suicidal, when, when the, 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 the grip around your throat starts to squeeze, then that's when people start to feel like, get me out of here, Mr. Wizard, <laughs> like Neo running in the Matrix, Mr. Wizard, get me out of here, you know, that's... That's where it goes. Okay, beautiful scene. You know, when he just tells Bernie, you know, they, they pay to come see Elton John, not Reginald. You know, it's when you go down the, the false, making false images, and you go down that road, then it the ego tells you, you need more and more, you need to stand out, you need to to differentiate yourself from others. It doesn't tell you you're the same as your brother, that you're the same as your sister, that this whole thing of time and space is, and the body is just an act. It's this drive to Try to find sanity through variety and individuation. And that's why a lot of, even the self-esteem courses of this world, you know, say you need to stand out. 
You need to be different. You need to do it better. Better, better, better. More, more, more. <clears throat> Take for example, even this book, A Course in Miracles. It wasn't enough that it was published in around 1976. But then it's like a laundry detergent. Then you have to have new improved. The second edition. The third edition. Hmm, that's interesting. A divine scripture, fourth edition, fifth edition, sixth edition. It's just an example. Even with the Course, the ego always has to make a better version. There's always an opinion about a better version, even of A Course in Miracles. And it's the same with laundry detergents. It's the same with the body. Thinner, uh, more beautiful, more muscular, you know. And then, well, Elton's showing us how to dress up. Uh-huh. None of us have really learned how to dress up, huh? Elton's, he's putting it out there for us, you know. I've got the biggest hairdress headdress in the world. I have 5% of all the gross music sales for the entire world, the planet, you know. When he, you know, he's trying to define, reach higher and higher standards of success in terms of the image. Talk about reinventing himself, you know. Forget the Oprah makeover. He reinvents himself every single performance with the even bigger outlandish things. You know, when, when that guy at the beginning said, you know, gave him a wad of cash and said, before he went to America, go out and buy yourself some clothes. Well, the ego ran with that. It ran with a wad of cash and go with, with the, your manager telling to go shopping. With a wad of cash, you know. Talk about temptations. A wad of cash and go. And then, that, that was years ago. Now he's He's admitted in the 12-step group that he's got a shopaholic, <laughs> he's got a, a shopping addiction, among other things, the, the cocaine and weed and on and on and on, food and everything imaginable. But this is, this is a great, great movie for showing you that if you follow the ego's direction, you know, the, as uh, Jean Cleese said in our Man About Town movie, you know, the ego will clothe you, <laughs> really clothe you, the ego will feed you, and it will leave you cold and alone and isolated. It, it, it wants you to be guilty so that you will keep believing in it. It wants your mind's energy. It wants you to believe in it. It doesn't want you to believe and follow the Holy Spirit because that will unwind your mind from the ego belief and take you right back to nirvana in heaven. And that's, that's not what the ego wants because if you follow the Holy Spirit so completely and you merge with the Holy Spirit, you have to inevitably come to the realization that there is no ego. That everything I've been talking about, World Federation of Wrestling and all the things, you may, you have a good laugh at the whole thing because once you unplug from it, it can't harm you. Because if you don't believe in it, it has no power over you. That's like, the, was it the Labyrinth movie? Was that the Labyrinth movie where at the end you have no power over me? The, the little girl says, is that the one with David Bowie? Yeah. You know, you have no, uh, no power over me. 
The ego cannot make you do anything. The ego cannot harm you. The ego cannot touch who you are. If you recognize who you are, then that by definition means there is no ego. If God is real, Jesus says in the workbook, there is no pain. And if pain is real, there is no God. So you really have to start to bring an honesty to your mind where you have to start to say, do I want the problem, which is the ego belief system, or do I want the answer, which is the atonement in the Holy Spirit? That's one of my favorite songs. Do I want the problem or do I want the answer? Teach, Teach only love for that is what you are. <laughs> you know, that's, that's it. That's got to be one of my favorite jingles of all time. So basically, that's really what coming to self-honesty is about, is do I want the problem or do I want the answer? Do I want the darkness of going down the, the staircase of hell, or do I want to go, as Led Zeppelin said, on the stairway to heaven? It's not really a stairway because it's, it's all simultaneous, but I love the feel. It's a great time image of a, of a spiral staircase going up higher and higher. We've got, we got a symbol of that, don't we have, for the MMT, uh, an ascending uh, staircase going into the light. It's maybe not spiral, but that's, the ego has a spiral, wicked spiral, uh, that you don't really see that you're on. It just takes you around, and like that stage, he's spinning round and round and round with all the different shows and costumes, and, and he looks pretty dizzy there too, doesn't he? He's, he looks pretty dizzy and confused. Yeah, that's another sign that you're, you've, you're on the wrong road. <laughs> if, you, if you're dizzy and confused, but you feel more bedazzled. That was a great movie too, where the, the, the devil was played by a woman. And what was the guy's name? The, I can't even think of it now, but it was fun. But it was all about him wishing for things, and the devil granting his wishes. She was definitely a create-your-own-reality devil. She was bedazzling him with, with all kinds of wishes, you know. Uh, he wanted to be married to a beautiful Latin America woman in South America. That was his fantasy. And then he's married down there and he's, uh, he's married to, uh, he's, a, he's actually a drug dealer. <laughs> And there's people shooting to kill him, and, and so you know the devil's like, "Oh yeah, I'll grant you your wish. You want to be married to a beautiful Latin American woman down there?" And then he's like, wakes up, "I'm a drug, I'm a drug dealer." Oh, there's these great movies. We're gonna have to. I'm one one Wednesday. I'm gonna have to succumb. And what's the name of that movie? Uh, Bedazzled. I'll have to show Bedazzled. I mean, Elton, Elton is bedazzled, but we don't have a devil character in there. Kind of. The partner is a little... <laughs> he's kind of... He's a sneaky devil, but he never calls himself the devil. And she does come right out and say she's the devil. So at least she's... No, no, no private thoughts and no... <laughs> she plays a... But she does say at one point, she said, you know, I gave you these wishes, but, but you know, you're doing this. It's kind of like you're doing this to yourself. Like you, it's because he's lacking. He's once, I want love, and then the devil takes him through the ringer. Not that much different from 
what we're seeing with Elton, except Elton seems to be more of a, a well-known figure. So it, it helps to, to see a well-known figure go through. It's like we're learning all the lessons right now. And who knows, you know, one of you might contact Elton for all you know. I mean, I, I started, been teaching this for years, and then suddenly a prisoner in Ohio, Chillicothe, Ohio, got a hold of my books, and then he got the course, and now we have a, an awakening prisoner uh, who's still in prison, but he's, he's like teaching the course, and he's got followers and everything, and he's in, he's in prison, and he's, he's freed his mind more than, than most of those that are out in the world. <laughs> he's like, it shows like Gandhi that it's a state of mind. His, his mind is just so transcendent. And he would write me these beautiful letters about his awakening experiences. And he said, is this, is this really happening to me? And does this mean this and this and this? So, yeah, we corresponded for a while there. I even did a TV show. What was it called? Escape to Happiness. If any of you want to learn more about Dale and Chillicothe Prison and his, his escape from in consciousness, then just go to YouTube and type in Escape to happiness, David Hofmeister, and you can watch, watch me sharing his letter and crying. Uh, it's just so beautiful. So let's go. We're watching, we're, we're using Elton as a learning, teaching learning device tonight for, for our mind. So so that's a, an interesting scene we just saw at the pool. So he basically comes down, he catches his lover, you know, in a sexual act with one of the pool boys, his rage comes up, and then he, he attempts to break, break up and break off. And basically his attempt to break up and break off is met with Laughter, sarcasm, pride, um, basically it's like no way. And even when he says, but I pay for everything and everything, he's told, well, there's, there's people coming, you flew them over, that's not till next week, this is next week. So he's kind of going, he's gone so much into the addictions and so much into the distractions that he's, he's, he's kind of out of it. But being out of it, he still tries to break up and it's met with no way. And that's, that's where the suicidal thoughts come in. The suicidal thoughts come in when you, when you feel like you've got to take an action and then you feel like you can't actually take that action. He tried to break up and it was met with no way. Not even the slightest bit. And that's when you know you've gone down this staircase. Because it, then it starts to get, it feels hopeless. It feels like there's no way out. It feels like somewhere you took a wrong turn and then it just spirals down, like the spiral staircase that, that Jesus talks about in the Course. It's very, very, very dark. and. And in, in this case, you know, he just takes all those pills, he drinks the vodka or whatever it was to wash it down, and then he kind of staggers through the house, goes and gets onto the diving board and says, 
for my next trick, I'm going to kill myself, and then just plunges into the water uh, with an overdose. And that, again, is just the darkness and the hopelessness. The ego doesn't mind if you seem to get happy using its tricks of fame, fortune, money, better than others, and all these things. The ego doesn't mind if you have pseudo-happiness. But the one thing that it can't stand is love. If you have a miracle experience, oftentimes you get hit with an ego backlash or an ego whiplash because when you start to have authentic awakening experiences, loving experiences, then the ego goes from suspicious to vicious. So you shouldn't, shouldn't be hard on yourself when you have some beautiful miraculous experiences and you start to really feel love in your heart. You really feel a swirl of, of happiness and joy come in. Don't let the ego come in with its sabotage maneuvers to try to go from suspicious to vicious to try to convince you you're not going to make it. Because it's inevitable. The awakening is inevitable. That's why we're joining together in such a strong way. These are like mighty companion uh, Wednesday night movies because it's for that witness of support. It's for that witness of don't give up. Like the Josh Groban song. Don't give up. It's just the weight of the world. You know, because you are loved. And he really belts it out. You are loved. I mean, that's like a Holy Spirit blast. You are loved. You are loved. And, and in this case, you know, Elton's just, he, he went into this and, and he really was blindsided by the unconscious mind. As a lot of us have been. I was just doing some counseling calls a, a couple days ago and the woman I was talking to, it just she was talking, it was dark, and then it, she said, it's darker, it's darker, it's darker. And, and it was like, and the thing that came out of my mouth is like three times seemingly in the parable of David, I felt like everything got knocked away. Like it was totally knocked away. Where, you know, like the Zen, the Buddhists with the Mandela paintings, these were rake experiences. These were when my little world of my little fine powdery print with all the colors and intricacy and everything and the rake came through and I was totally knocked for a loop. You know, they talk about head over heels in love. I was head over heels in ah <laughs> devastation. Um, and then complete devastation and then uh oh. I have no clue now. Like, I've been, the rake has come through my mind. Complete wiped away. Everything got wiped away. And then I remember in those darkest hours, I remember, oh yeah, Jesus. I, I started praying to Jesus. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I, I believe me, I just have been so cleaned out here and wiped, everything's been wiped away. And it didn't, I had no clue of anything, but I just felt this kind of prayer of like, yeah, it's all working for good. This, I actually had this feeling like I would come to appreciate that whole thing. That was the first, and then it happened again a second time, then it happened the third time. It's kind of interesting, I've had three revelation experiences where I went completely into the light, 
And three, raking my mind uh, to the point where I was completely like the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz, you know, when the, when the flying monkeys come and they pull out all of his straw all over the, the road, the yellow brick road, and his, he's tossed all over the place. That's how I felt. I felt like if this body had straw in it, it was just strewn all over the road. Like I was totally wiped out. But actually I was just telling, on this counseling call, I was saying, actually I grew much stronger in faith when everything fell apart. Uh, wow, I found Jesus was right there for me and connecting in with me and ready to lift me up and give me my next instructions at the, in my darkest hours. And I think, wow, those are, those are probably as helpful as my revelatory experiences <laughs> because, because I grew so strong. I saw when I really felt I had nothing to hold on to that, that Jesus was there for me even in my darkest hour. So I think we're actually at that point of the film now, you know, that's like the point of the film where he's, he's taken an overdose of pills and thrown himself on, off into his pool with uh, liquor and, and an overdose of pills. And that's when the light of heaven come, finds a way to shine through, even for Elton, at the bottom of a pool. <laughs> on an overdose with alcohol pumping through his veins, that's when, that's one of those rake experiences. That's one of Elton's rake experiences. But uh, really there's only one way to go and that's up to heaven from these points because it doesn't seem to get any more darker than this. And then you feel the strength when that light comes to you and you realize you're going to make it. You, you know in your heart, I'm, I'm coming home to God. I'm, I'm going all the way back in my mind to remember God now. I'm going in the other direction because I've seen how dark it can be and you know there's still light living in me and sparking in me and I'm going for it. So let's see what happens here with Elton. I'm sorry. <laughs> so he's helping us all again. He's tried the change your life option. <laughs> so now he's really changed his lifestyle. <laughs> but alas, when you have when you change your life and you get to the point where you have to say, "I'm sorry," um, that just means you have to realize. What Jesus says in the Course is actually what you need to turn to. And what Jesus says in the Course is, seek not to change the world. Seek rather to change your mind about the world. He doesn't say seek to, to change your lifestyle. He doesn't say try to make a better worldly life. He basically is saying dedicate yourself to mind training. Dedicate yourself to practicing this course and this workbook. Dedicate yourself to transfer of training. Dedicate yourself to forgiveness. Dedicate every bit of your mind energy to healing in mind. And don't think that you have to control the form or actually try, that you actually know 
what would be good and how you can change the form to make your life better. That's got to be one of the sneakiest things of still believing you can, you can change things in form. The grass is always greener on the other side. Oh, I would be happy if I made this change in form, if I did this thing instead of what I've done before. You know, it's this try to change your life in the world of form to bring about the healing, and it just doesn't work. There can be guidances that you receive where things just flow and seem to reconfigure and reconfigure, but basically, what Jesus is saying, and what I've shared, is you have to change the purpose for the world. It's, this isn't a band-aid approach where you, you change the, the form of, of the world or of what you perceive as your personality self, and then the angels come rushing down and the choirs of angels sing, ah, and the light lifts your body up into an ascension because you've changed the form. You know, whenever I've been tempted to think about changing the form of things, I just remember that, again, I go back to the Beyond All Idols section. Oh, I could just live in that section. I could just go and live in there. Just live inside there. But actually, he, he says his sentence in that section where he says, God knows not form. It's one sentence, but it's, it's a sweet one. Four, four words, God knows not form. So if your goal is to know God, then it should give you a hint that, that changing the form is not really changing something that is meaningful. In fact, Jesus says in the Course, he says, when you try to change the form or you try to change the appearances, you're trying to change effects without the cause. Wow, change effects without the cause. That sounds really like frustrating to try to change the effects without the cause. And he's basically saying that the Holy Spirit will bring to you the light of, of a cause that is in your mind that will light up the world and you need to accept this new purpose in your mind. Because the ego projected the world, so the ego is the false cause and all the images are the false effect. What happens if you try to tinker with the effects? Nothing. Sometimes people say, if I could just heal my body. Somebody talked to me, I've had persistent symptoms for the last 30 years. I would be so happy if I could just heal the body. And Jesus says, don't ask the Holy Spirit to heal the body. Ask the Holy Spirit to heal your perception of the body. Still, it comes back to the mind. Change your purpose. We watched that movie, You Can't Take It With You, last, uh, last week. What a beautiful movie on giving versus getting. Just to get into the joy of giving. Every single situation in your life is just an opportunity to be in the giving mode. To extend the beautiful love that you have in your heart. The beautiful attitude that you have. To, to share that and extend that, to strengthen that in awareness. And there's no point in trying to get anything from the world because if you try to dinkle around with the effects then, and you don't change your purpose,
then you haven't really done anything at all. You, you've, uh, I think in, in swimming terms, it's called treading water. <laughs> yeah. Are you doing the backstroke? Are you doing the breaststroke? Are you doing, what, what stroke are you doing? I'm treading water. <laughs> you're not moving, yeah, I noticed. <laughs> you're, not, you're treading water. You know how to swim? Oh, I can tread water. Hmm. That doesn't really get you into spiritual awakening. You want to be doing some strokes that the Holy Spirit is giving you. Even if you're a turtle for God and you have tiny strokes, little tiny stubby little legs and you just do your little stubby steps, you're, you're still moving back towards the light. Being a turtle for God, you're not tread, just treading water, you're moving. You're, you're moving toward the light. So Elton, at this point, you know, now, at this point he, he's just tried, uh, even though he's still very identified as being gay, he tried getting married. And they just come out of their rooms and sit there and everything. This is where he needs A Course in Miracles. This would have been, <laughs> this would have been a good time to bring The Course in Miracles in. So you can have some conversations about awakening. You can have some inspired conversations. That's the key, because the Holy Spirit can only use the body as a communication device. Minds are joined, bodies do not. Now he's got a nice big house and a female body and a male body in there. Well, well, yeah. The effects have, have shifted a bit. But that's what I mean about the Course. You've got to really invite the Holy Spirit to come in there and be the purpose that you would align with in your mind. Because otherwise, it's, it, it's like treading water. It's like spinning around, changing people, changing places, changing circumstances, you know. You can't really judge anything by the appearances. You know, I have a friend of mine, she's, she's married for the fifth time, but we have so wonder, we talk on the phone and we laugh and we're always talking about what's going on in the mind. Five marriages? Doesn't matter to me. Ten marriages, one marriage, zero marriages. It's what's going on in your mind, what's in the contents of your consciousness. What, how are you, you feeling? Which purpose are you aligned with? Now that is a meaningful conversation. <laughs> That's an inspiring conversation. And you can feel the energy just start to swirl inside your heart when you allow your mind to engage in the, the guided life, the inspired life. That's what all guidance is about, all collaborations have that swirl in them. And, and Bernie and uh, Elton are still going there in this movie. They've, they've continued on through it all, through many ups and downs. Now there's your mighty companion. You're one that, that sticks with you through thick and thin, up and down, backwards, forwards. It's your mind training partner. Bernie is a mind training partner. We finally figured it out. You know, he's, that's why he's, Bernie's by him, his side there through all these years, is because he's got a mighty companion, a mind training partner. You know, the old Ghostbusters theme, theme was, who are you going to call? Mighty companion. <laughs> that's who you're going to call, you're not going to call Ghostbusters, although the mighty companions do bust those, those ego ghosts. 
you don't ghost no more after you've been in community for a while. You lose your ghosting capacity. You go, you become more real and true and authentic and transparent. So let's see. I think we're we're heading around the home stretch now, but it's finally coming around where he's seen enough of the the games and he's he's actually going to start I, I would say now he's he's gonna start kicking in uh, even even this marriage it seemed like it was a, a step <laughs> a step into a more calm conversation thing but it but you see without the course it just fizzled it was like one of those uh, firecrackers that you light the wick and pssst, it just smokes it doesn't it doesn't go off it was a fizzler but uh, but let's see where it goes from here the Holy Spirit is not done with him That was beautiful. You know, that was a beautiful scene where uh, he's getting ready to go out with his big costume on and, um, you know, there comes a point where it's, the world can start to reflect your change of mind, your change of purpose. And uh, when he got into that taxi cab and he, he was singing Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, uh, you know, in one sense, the, the fame, the fortune, the music, the whole scheme of uh, just bigger, better, faster, more, you know, that whole yellow brick road, uh, he basically, he didn't show up for his concert at Madison Square Garden. And you've got to be bold enough to, in your mind, to take a turn away from, even for him, that was the familiar, you know, that was mostly his whole life as a singer, as a performing artist, as a songwriter, and so on and so forth. But, you know, that just shows you how powerful the Holy Spirit's guidance is. You know, he, he basically, he basically walks out in costume from Madison Square Gardens, where he was supposed to show up with tens of thousands of fans waiting for the scripted performance that he's supposed to do, and he goes in costume to what? An expression session. <laughs> if that ain't the Holy Spirit, I don't know what is. Sometimes people say, well the Holy Spirit, David, you know, would never guide you to leave your job. Oh, he, he walked out basically on his career. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't just leave Madison Square Garden, but he went there to a recovery group, and you could see progressively, took off his mask, took off his costume, and then symbolically even was open to not just sharing with the recovery group there, but inviting, come on, Everybody here, mom, dad, Bernie, all of them. Nan, you see, he was able to speak to all of them. In fact, Bernie didn't show up till he said, I'm not going to let you talk to me like that anymore. And that's when Bernie showed up. Like, I, I've been waiting for you to say that, Bernie. <laughs> you can hear, that's the Holy Spirit I've been waiting for. It's all thoughts in our mind, and we, and we, as long as we have self-critical thoughts, 
that are putting ourselves down or that we've let other people down or that we have other people's voices in our mind, so to speak, telling us what we, you abandoned me, you left me, you never, you never, you know, the mother, she was great. Boy, she really was good with some of her thoughts. I should have never had children. <laughs> she said, she says to him, and basically, you know, you, you're making me crazy. She needed money to go off <laughs> to buy a new house and for him to write the check. And why? Why do you need to go to another place? Because you're driving me crazy. <laughs> it's just, it gets to be hilarious when you start to see it, but these are the kind of thoughts that we have believed are real, that have tortured us. These are the thoughts that bring in the guilt, that bring in the pain, that bring in the, the hurt feelings. And these are the ego thoughts that you know, we finally have to not pay attention to anymore. We have to let those loving guidances of the Holy Spirit, you know, come into our mind, and then we have to follow them. That's what I like it, you know, where he, he walks out of Madison Square Garden. There's the turn. When he's walking out of Madison Square Garden and he goes into that big white mansion and the door opens and you just see this figure with this blazing light, I'm like thinking, there's Jesus. It doesn't matter that he walked down the twisted stairs. Because here comes the hand reaching down into those spiral staircase, lifting Elton up. And then he goes to the expression session of the 12-step meeting. And then we see at the end of the movie, 20 years sober. Well, now that's a move towards the higher power. That's a move towards the healing. That's the move towards not listening to those ego voices. And he, he did get to talk to everyone, including looking for love outside of himself. You know, he was able to recognize at that moment in that 12-step meeting that he was able to actually verbalize that he had been looking, looking for love. He believed that he needed to be loved by by someone outside himself. And that to me is the big turnaround. That's the turnaround. That's when you actually go inside and you start to pray sincerely. Okay, I need help. I need to be shown. I need guidance. I need direction. And you are not going to look outside yourself for your happiness. You are going to look to fulfilling your function, fulfilling your purpose, extending, giving, sharing. That's the, the ticket. <laughs> That's the ticket up the stairway to heaven instead of down the spiral staircase. So again, the Holy Spirit always makes the rescue and turns the mind toward the light. And you know, that's a beautiful song at the end, I'm Still Standing. You know, when you really look at, at how, how the ego made this world, and if you look at our experiences that we're sharing, all the love and light and joy and clarity that can pour through, we're still standing, you know. It's like we're still, we haven't been 
taken out by the ego, we may have been knocked down. <laughs> we may have been really knocked down, but we're still standing. We're still joining, connecting, exposing, releasing, forgiving. You know, that's to me so beautiful. And then there's Bernie with him in the end, you know. I love you, brother. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of expression Bernie has for him. <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> so, all right, Eric, why don't we open it up and see uh, what, what happened, what people were touched, and what insights you saw, and what did Elton help teach you tonight? For, or wherever you are in the world, night or morning, I think we have Australia. I can't even say good night. Because it could good, good morning to Peter and our, to a couple of friends in Australia. Hey, hey there. There's Aussies. <laughs> the bright light. We we all have artificial lighting, and then there's this beautiful sunshine streaming in there. <laughs> beautiful. Okay. First up, we have Esther. Go ahead, Esther. David, this is an answer to such a prayer. You have no idea. Um, because all the things that you discussed are coming up in my awareness right now. Um, bit by bit, I'll try to detail some. Like, for example, I missed some trades by not looking at the, at the stocks. And Alan said to me yesterday, well, you know, you missed these things. And why weren't we looking? And it was like I was being him. For him, what I am for me, what I mean for him, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and, and, and then this morning he types in the text, I love you. And I'm like, what? I, I didn't feel it. And I, I was like, what's going on? And, and then you explained, you said, I think you said that it was um, looking for love outside of myself, perhaps. And also all the stuff that happened the day before about being said that I missed something and all this and the pressure I felt and what's going on is that I have a lot of resistance and uh, to, to uh, actually doing something with the, with the charts and stuff like that. There's a lot of resistance, but Alan seems to need the support like someone to talk to about the topics. So he, he threw a, a, a little carrot and he said, well, you know, with this, um, with this charting pattern, if we program this stock chart to be this, um, to, to spit out these charts that are doing this particular pattern, you could write your own program and become famous and have a subscription. People come subscribing to it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Now the spirit's telling me this, or, or this is being what's coming up. And I'm like, well, hmm. So I signed up for the subscription to, to, to have this program start the ball rolling, whatever. But um, I, I said to him, well, what about purpose? I said, you know, I, I really want just the peace of mind. I want the traits to come from that peace that if it's possible to, to experience, um, that's the only reason I would want to do anything is, is to have that in syncness with, with the peace of God in my heart. And if it's possible, I'm asking you, is it possible to do that with this activity, even though there seems to be resistance? And also, it just seems like I just don't have enough energy. I, I'm still very needing for sleep. 
if I don't get enough sleep, that means I can't get up at 930 to look at the market the first thing or whatever. Um, I can move around that, but also there's the logistics of being on the road with my mom and not having it on my phone to know when to get out of a trade if it's necessary. And there's a lot of pressure, it feels like, with that. And I don't, I just want to follow the steps of the spirit. I don't want to, I don't want this to become an ego thing, like you said about the ego step, one step, and then you're doing the next step. I, I'm concerned. And so I, how can I help Alan and myself so that we are on this journey where we have conversations of content all the time? It's hard. There's not always, it's not always coming up and then it's clunky. And I want, I know it can be, it can be miraculous if I just stay with it, but I don't know how to follow through with those ideas. Except you did say, uh, what was your, what's your purpose today? I think that's a great idea. If you have more like that, I'm, I'm listening. I really am. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Esther. Yeah, I think when you use that word several times, trading, you know, you are, are trading purposes in your mind. That's what's going on here. You're trading purposes. And that means you're, tr you're trading the old purpose, which was uh, based on survival, which was based on getting achieving, accumulating, accomplishing, and you're really handing over the, the, the scripts of the world, the seeming outcomes that seem to be in the world, and you're really handing them over to the Holy Spirit and saying, the outcome I want is peace. I want peace. Uh, my outcome of peace is not dependent on my income uh, in terms of form. That's where you're trading places. Because the ego said, hell it is. It, you know, the ego's like, you know, like that elevator scene in uh, Revolver. You know, I'm your best friend, Jake. I'm, I'm your friend. They're your enemies. I'm your friend. I've been with you all along. You know, it, it's been with us in telling us about survival and you better get while the getting's good. Always look out for yourself. Um, you know, it's, it tells us that we need to be an analytical and figure things out so we can be smart and, and achieve and accomplish and everything. And I just see you're trading all that away for being more intuitive with the Holy Spirit and, and learning to, to relax, learning to, uh, to join with Alan, to be there as loving support, uh, to let your conversations be inspired. You know, you're into the Course, Alan's into the Course. You both have read the different things I've written. You're, you know, you've, you're going for healing and for happiness. And you have to be very vigilant as you're trading purposes every day. Because the, the, that trading is not of the stock market, that's, that's of the mind market. You've got a you've got a, a full time trading job going on there in the mind mind market, and the ego is saying get 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 Esther you better get while the getting's good you got to get while the getting's good and then the Holy Spirit's like relax I got this I got this you be your happy joyful self you show up with your joy with your happiness your laughter you bring 
your happiness to the situation, you know, because that's what a trade in the mind is. When we, when we make a decision to, to extend our happiness, you know. I mean, I remember at the beginning I read the Course, use it as an oracle for like five, five years at the very beginning, and it was a very intimate internal process of me praying and opening the book and getting my answers. And then, I, just like with uh, Elton, I do remember the time where uh, Jesus was saying to me, Okay, it, you, I've really enjoyed this intimate process with you, David, and now you're going to go to some course groups. And I'm, course groups? There's groups? There's groups of people that study this book? And he's like, yes. And I, I'm like, I kind of like the way we've got it, just you and me. Just you and I. We are going back to heaven. He's like, well, there's, you know, I'm gonna, I can use the people too. Uh, the people too, I can use it. So, I remember signing up for a workshop that was like at a retirement home. And it was some, it was a student of a teacher of the course called Tara Singh. And, and um, I went there and I met in one day like 70 course students. I, I hardly knew any course students. I just was me in the book. You know, very intimate. Me in the book and the oracle thing and then boom. And it's like throwing sprinkles onto my uh, ice cream cone of all different shapes and colors. And then, and then I met seven, I was like, wow. And Jesus is like, just settle down, that's just the beginning. So then in one week he had me going to five course groups. I went from zero <laughs> to five. And then even that was like, Jesus was working with me on the inside. He said, don't think it's anything special about these course groups, but you've got to open your heart up. You've got to go there and be willing to speak and to shine and to share. Which for a shy guy, you know, that was like, you know, it wasn't just going to the course groups, but it was be open-hearted and everything. And then, of course, when I started going to course groups, I would go there and I would pray my little prayer, I'm here only to be truly helpful, I'm here to represent whom has sent me, go in, boom, 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 miracles, 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 and I'd be like, wow, this is really, I feel my heart opening, I feel all this love. Then I'd get in the car to drive home and the ego would just rant. Did you see those people? Did you see that one woman? Did you, oh, I can't believe it. You know, it was just ranting. And why did you say this? You dumb idiot. Why did you speak up? You know, you should have just kept your mouth shut. It was like, probably like Elton felt a lot, you know, it was like, I would be like, fascinating. I go to course groups as a shy guy. I pray my prayer. I open my heart. All this love comes through. My heart opens and then the ego rips as soon as I'm driving home. Rah, rah, rah. Oh, you did, why did you do this? So I thought, hmm, well, that's an interesting, looks like this is the way it's going to go. <laughs> open your heart up and then rip, rip, rip from the, rant, rant, rant from the ego. So, so eventually you have to, you have to take your firm stand in your mind for trading trading your purpose, trading your old purpose, uh, which was just survival. Very defensive, you know, just very 
analytic and dark and survival mode for for the the open, happy, joyful mode of here I am, what would you have me do now? And not just where would you have me go or what would you have me say, but Jesus always says, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? And I'd say, I'm a, a little nervous or a little closed down and this and this, and he'd say, let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. You know, are you ready? Let's go to the group. And remember, have some fun. You know, so it's like, that's, that's a trading of a purpose. So I really feel like that's, that's how you can think of it. When you start to think of the trading, just remember you're just trading the old purpose of the past for the new one of this moment. And you're just practicing that. And every time you even notice yourself drifting off into the timeline or performance or whether it was a good trade or a bad trade or whether you missed something with the trade, say, oh yeah, I can come back. I want to remember I'm trading purposes in my mind. That's what counts. That's, that's what heals. It's not looking for the outcomes to be a certain way. The most glorious experiences I've had is, is when things you notice, you start to get upset and things are not what you had hoped for, and then you remember to trade, trade purposes. And you go, oops, yeah, that got, got me again, but I'm not, no, I'm not going for that. And does it really matter, you know, ultimately, um, if my outcome is peace of mind, then um, I can more and more let go of, of trying to judge the form. Did God really create me to be a judge of form, considering God doesn't even create the form in the first place? <laughs> Why, do, why have I taken on that role, that purpose of judging the form, judging the appearances when, when God didn't create me that way and, and I can't know myself unless I, I, I let it go. I just say, no, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. Go ahead, Robert. Oh, oh okay. Hi. Hi, Robert. Yeah, um, I just have a Two quick questions. Uh, great movie, by the way. Uh, I just feel like you've covered so much. <laughs> um, the first one is, I noticed in the movie, there was this symbol of the little child that kept coming, uh, coming up. And it's been the subject of some discussion we've had here at the monastery. What exactly is the little child? Um, and sometimes it's described as a frightened little child and to me that's like the ego identity that's in me and sometimes it's described as the innocent child and i'm just kind of wondering if that's like maybe a representation of holy spirit or something yeah i was just wondering if there's is there like a a, a agreed upon meaning to that symbology or is it just like whatever you make of it and the second one is uh the, the way the movie ended, how he uh, got rid of a lot of the junk in his mind and it seemed to clear up for him. And he got sober and all that and got the right people in his life and whatnot. And it kind of reminded me of something that uh, Gary Renard was saying. Um, he was describing how people wake up. Uh, according to him, it's kind of like uh, the person becomes just so happy, increasingly happy, that uh, they really don't care if they ever wake up or not because they're so happy where they are. 
and then like awakening kind of falls on them. And then there's, there's also um, like Eckhart Tolle, he, you know, he had went through a lot of suffering in his life and then he woke up on a park bench. And I was wondering, is, is there like a way that um, awakening happens or is it just foolish to try to decide this is how it should look and it's different for everybody? Those are the two questions I have. Okay, thank you, Robert. Great questions. Well, mostly in terms of the world's therapies and psychotherapy and, and psychiatrists and, and things, you know, when they talk about inner child work, oftentimes uh, they're talking about a, a child that has been inside but also still has gone through fear and, and, and doubt and so on and so forth. And um, I basically, for that kind of a model, you, it's, it's just symbols, but I, I recommend that uh, movie The Kid uh, with Bruce Willis, where basically uh, his, his younger self, his, his child self, shows up at his house and he's terrified. Uh, but he basically begins to slowly see that everything that he sees in this child is what he's hated about himself. Uh, he starts to realize that the child is, in that sense, is just doing the mirroring. So when you think of your the little Robert or your the inner child in that way, that's just a mirroring again going on to the beliefs and thoughts in the mind, which are what have to be exposed. So. It has a value in the sense, as long as it's seen in terms of mirroring. And then you talked about the inner child, sometimes it's referred to as the innocent child. And um, Jesus actually likes that one. He's not so much into the psychotherapy of the world, other than saying that the whole world is mirroring your mind all the time. All the old people, the young people, fat people, skinny people, black, red, gay, you know, everything that you perceive is, is a reflection of, of your thoughts in your consciousness. And therefore, they're, they're your savior because they're helping you see what you still believe in, but have died, denied from awareness. But then Jesus actually uses the, he says in the workbook, there's a child in you who so desperately wants to go home. And this child needs your protection. And he needs the, your mind to be still an instant so that he can go home. In other words, he's describing the inner child as, as a child, it's almost like a mind that needs to, to accept the correction and to go into stillness because that child can't really go home to God until the child uh, is allowed to be himself be the Christ, to be the stillness, to sink into the depth of the mind and into the stillness. So I particularly like that. I remember how powerful that was when I first read that workbook lesson. Because uh, basically it's an invitation to be very kind with yourself, be very gentle. And, um, you know, there's a part where Jesus says, dream softly of your sinless brother. Remember the kindnesses he gave instead of the hurts. Uh, he's basically calling us to come to that place of innocence and kindness and sweetness. Um, 
I use the word sweet a lot. Uh, in fact, when the, the, there were seven copyright lawsuits going on around A Course in Miracles at one point, when I was traveling and teaching, and then the way it resolved was a judge in New York dis dismissed the case, and his name was Judge Sweet. <laughs> I, I, Jesus is having so much fun. You know, he is just watching this dream world and just playfully saying, David, did you get it? Judge Sweet? Ha 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 You know, it's, it's always light, light, light. Jesus is so playful because he knows the dream isn't real and he's sending these dream symbols through. Did you get it? Did you see it? Did you get that one? Did you see that one? Did you see that one? And so, in, that's kind of the answer to your first question, that it's, it's really was helpful. If you think of it more as, a, as an inner child in the, in the psychotherapeutic ways, I would just say whatever you perceive in that inner child is what you believe in your mind. You know, it's, that inner child is just a mirror, a reflector. But that Christ child that wants to go home, uh, that sleeping Christ child that needs stillness and gentleness and kindness is just a great reminder to be very kind with yourself. Don't uh, don't beat yourself up with the, those ego thoughts, or don't don't hang on that train of thought if you start to ever get critical. And then the second one uh, about people getting happier and happier and happier um, until they don't care about waking up anymore, and then they just kind of wake up at the end. That you know, I guess Jesus does say in the course that God will take the final step. But I think the things with, with those metaphors, you know, that Gary's talking about and this and that, if you watch one of my recent videos, I actually say in the video, now pay attention. I say, now pay attention. Dream characters don't wake up. Dream characters don't wake up. You know, within that whole metaphor you're, Gary's describing, it's still there's an assumption that people wake up. And, and I, I say, the characters, the ego peopled the world. The, the world of people is a projection and people are very specific, so people are idols. And it's, I know it's when you are so identified with that, that character, then the, the questions can come, um, when am I going to wake up and can you tell me about awakened people? And then people go off and they st seem to, you know, it's all looking into this awakened masters and avatars and so forth. But, you know, we're actually at that point of mind training where I'm really saying to everybody, really just focus as best you can on, on thinking yourself as a mind and that contains thoughts. And that mind that contains thoughts, you can call it consciousness, Jesus does say consciousness is the domain of the ego. Nevertheless, he's given us a course, he's given us inspiration for mind training, and, and he's really speaking, speaking to a mind. He's speaking to a sleeping mind. He's not really speaking to a person or to people, but even though he likes to use, throw in a few of those metaphors like sit quietly, close your eyes, or let your eyes move slowly around the room. He's, he's like trying to speak to you as if you're a person, but then, boom, he comes in. God has but one son. One son. You are mind, holy mind, 
purely mind. Okay, what's my lesson for the day? I am spirit. I am the Holy Son of God himself. <laughs> you see, whom, whom, he's saying, come on, let's go for this mind thing. You can do it, you can do it. You're a mind, you're a mind. Just think in terms of your thoughts. Is this thought gentle? Is this thought kind? Is this thought sweet? Is this thought loving? And when it's not, hmm, that's not my real thought. I'm not buying that one. I'm not going to buy the bait that I'm the thinker of those thoughts because then you really start to get into the practice of trying to really give your heart to that workbook lesson, you know, whatever that lesson is. You just are showing up there with your whole heart and saying, okay Jesus, I'm going for it and, and help me Help me start to get in touch with my mind. Help me start to get in touch with the power of my mind. The reason there's so much focus on bodies and brains and transforming your brain waves and rewiring your brain and all these kind of things is there's a terror of the mind. Uh, you know, the, the, the belief is, is if I have a powerful mind and I misuse that mind Oh my God, I could wreak havoc. Uh, I always think of that movie uh, with Jim Carrey, Bruce Almighty, where God goes on vacation and he turns the world over to Bruce. <laughs> he says, I'm going on vacation, Bruce. You're in charge. And you know, I think it was a beautiful parody about to show how important mind training is because, um, you know, Bruce, when he's, you know, he's walking down the street, I got the power, and he's blowing up ladies' skirts, and he's doing things with his hands and everything like this, and he's, he eventually goes into a restaurant and he uses his hands to part the tomato soup, like he's parting the Red Sea. And he goes, ah! You know, you see how playful God is, it's like God wants us to remember how powerful our mind is, but right away when, when Morgan Freeman goes on vacation and, and puts Bruce in charge, Bruce starts to discover he can't handle that. He even tries to answer God's emails and he puts, there's like thousands of emails that come in there and he tries to put the same answer in form to every email. Can you imagine if you or I answered all our emails with, with the same answer? I think maybe I do that with my auto-reply, but that's when I'm really checking out from the world. But, but you see, it, it's saying we just need to be present, we need to be guided, we need to be really asking, uh, because Jesus wants us to share our joy, our happiness, we, the love in our hearts, and the more we extend it, the more we experience that it's, it's who we are. So, yeah, I don't think you have to get caught up into that whole idea about um, awakening people. There aren't any. There never has been and never will be. You know, even Artin and Persa are just symbols of the mind. And it's beautiful. You know, it's, it's a nice symbol. But then we can talk about Buddha and Jesus and Ramana and all these different ones and actually you know you kind of start to blow past those metaphors when you start to say wow I, I just need to mind my mind or watch my mind. So for 
decades now, I've been talking about mind watching, movie watching with mind, with mind attentiveness. Um, the movie Watcher's Guide to Enlightenment. There's even the watcher is in the title. Uh, be the watcher. Be the watcher of the mind. And, and when you watch your mind so carefully, then you'll also be able to, like uh, Esther, just you can trade out that old purpose. You know, just by noticing how you feel. If you feel upset or anxious or whatever, you can just pause and go, oh, back to my mind watching. We resume right now to the mind watching. Oh, yeah, that's good. I like that. Before I was all concerned about what they say, what they do. Why did, did you see that? Jesus is like, mind watching, mind watching, come back here. <laughs> and so, you know, we practice. We keep practicing. So, thank you. Thank you, Robert. Nice, a heart. And we get to see all our, hi there everyone in the monastery. Hey there. <laughs> Another beautiful movie together. It's fun sharing these movies. Thank you, thank you, Robert. Okay, next we have Diana there in Camas. Thank you. David, I wanted to say that um, I wanted to say thank you for showing this movie. I've never watched it, um, but uh, I'm very grateful that I got to have this experience tonight. And one thing that I'm hugely grateful about is the fact that while I was watching the movie and all the drug scenes and the alcohol scenes showed, I didn't have that... Um, I didn't have that intensity. I didn't have that high, intense charge like I did at a, at one of our other movie gatherings when there was drug scenes. I didn't have it this time, so that's just really reassuring to me that you know there's been a lot of healing uh, where that you know with with um, you know that seeming part of my life. Um, and, and so, but something else I wanted to say that I, that I noticed, and I noticed this a couple of places in the movie, when, um, I can't remember, El when Elton John was uh, talking with someone like, uh, I can't remember the character's names now, but like it was one time with his mom, and I think one time with his dad, and maybe Bernie, he wanted to say, they said something to him, and it hurt him so badly, and he wanted to respond and he just sucked it up. It's like you could just see him close himself completely off and repress, repress. And I thought, oh my God, how many times have I done, you know, private thoughts, right? We, we don't want to expose those. I mean, the ego doesn't want us to expose those private thoughts. But, you know, and then I think about how that becomes the driving uh, unconscious force that drives uh behavior. Um, and it's just, I have had such beautiful experiences. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cry. I have had beautiful experiences here. Um, where I have really just exposed 
expose private thoughts that I really believe that if I expose them, uh, you know, something horrible was going to happen. I mean, you know, the ego just really had me believe that I couldn't expose that. I can't say that. And then wondering why I felt miserable um, and why I was reacting at times. Well, it was because I, I was repressing these private thoughts. I wasn't bringing them to the light um, and allowing spirit to take them. And, and, I, and I've done that. And, and I've had so much healing happen for me um, since doing that. And I just feel so, you know, talking about the drugs and alcohol, yeah, my heart's racing a little bit. I feel a little bit anxious, but it's nothing like it was seemingly before. Um, so, yeah, I'm just so grateful for so much healing and, uh, you know, continued healing. Um, and, yeah. So thank you, David. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for your witness. That you know, it it really shows how how healing that is for the mind when when we do that sharing of those private thoughts. And I just noticed in the movie. I mean, every time I watch it, I see something a little more accentuated. But when he was in the phone booth uh, telling his his mother, uh, you could just see the close-up shot on his face, was just contorting and contorting. And it was just, the words were just coming out, you know, with such difficulty. Because it obviously was a very strong belief in hiding um, that, that, that he was homosexual, that he was gay, and from his mother. And then um, when he finally does come out, you know, it's just silence on the phone, and then she said, yeah, I've known. And, you know, it, again, it was almost like, well, there it is. It was clearly just something that he had held in his mind uh, with all kinds of maybe imagined repercussions of so on and so forth. But that's very common for the world. Even the time when he was just a boy and he looked in and his mom was in the car, uh, and he just, when he saw her face, it was like a shattering um, feeling. But that takes me back to the setup I gave, how every, the mind, when it sleeps and comes to this world, it, it projects out the characters, it projects out the situations to get lost in the veil, to get lost in the dream. And uh, even with family members and so on and so forth, the dysfunctions in the mind, the, the, the dysfunction is the ego belief, belief system. That's clearly dysfunctional. Uh, that's so dysfunctional that at one point in the Course in Miracles, Jesus says, resign now as your own teacher. Oh, that's, a, that's a real call to unplug uh, from the mind and be led and be taught and be inspired. So. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you're just taking full advantage of, of the expression sessions. Um, it's so funny when I talk to people who are like Course and Miracles scholars or purists, they'll say, David, where does Jesus talk about people-pleasing in, in the Course? And I'm, I mean, I was in university for 10 years, but I am so into healing and to practical healing and not hiding and, and protecting uh, into exposure. And there's lots of point in the 
course where he talks about exposure, release. Uh, in the workbook he says, he says, you have no private thoughts, and yet that is all that you are aware of. <laughs> so, whoa, that's a, 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 an exposure. You have no private thoughts, and yet that's all you're aware of. He's just basically saying, your mind is preoccupied with past thoughts. Your mind is preoccupied with, with nothingness, absolute nothingness, and you think it's somethingness. And, and it's, a, it's a conundrum, it's a, it's, a, it's a sticky predicament, this sleeping mind that believes these thoughts are real. And then it's a convincing. Uh, that's why we ask help by the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus is, convince me, show me. Instead of show me the money, <laughs> like in Jerry Maguire, show me the innocence. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of prayer the Holy Spirit likes to hear, show me the innocence. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, that's my job. Oh yeah, and I'll, I'm doing it until you get it, until you receive it, until you experience the, the divine innocence, then, then the awakening, the process continues, yeah. Okay, I see Julie has her hand up. Hi Julie, go ahead. And Hi. <laughs> Hi Julie. Thank you, Hi. Thank you so much. This is a, I think it, for me, it could be a, the last film or session that I, I would listen to all the way home, <laughs> you know, in the loop. Um, that's how um, it, it feels. And I had a, a question. Um, you know when uh, the scene when he takes the pills and and drinks and then he falls into the the pool. Um, you said um, something like I, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but um, okay, hang on. Uh, okay, so he's he's um, he's falling. How did you put it? Something like when you go into darkness, uh, you know, like at the bottom of the pool, um, the light of heaven comes, you know, and will pick you up. So my question is, um, why do the light of heaven comes, often comes when we are at the bottom of the pool? <laughs> and uh, is it because when we are at the bottom of, of the pool, we, we surrender in a way, or, and uh, so <laughs> uh, we, you know, it's like uh, the defense are down because we, we're just, there's nowhere else to go than, than to the light. Is it, is it that? So, yeah, that's my question today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what I always got from Jesus was, he was basically saying, don't protect the darkness. Do not protect it. Um, don't, meaning, I, I said, what does that mean? He said, don't hide it. 
don't hide it. And I, he said, that's it, that's your responsibility, don't hide it. I was like, that's it? We said, yeah, well, you don't, don't project it, but don't hide it. Um, you have to kind of allow it to kind of come up and move through. And, and when you do that, when you don't hide it, when you don't protect it, then, then the Holy Spirit takes it. Uh, it's only the hiding and the protecting where the, it seems like the Holy Spirit has to wait. The Holy Spirit is not like a sentinel that's sent into the, the sleeping dark mind, like a, like a search and destroy program, like it's going to zap every dark attack thought, you know. It's actually very soft and gentle and passive and it waits for invitation. And, and what is the invitation to the Holy Spirit except to not hide and protect it? Don't distract away from it, don't repress it and, and stuff it and suppress it. Um, you know, I could see with Elton, with a lot of those points in his life, um, even as a child, it was very, very intense for him when his, his father didn't seem to hug him, when his father was saying harsh things, when his mother was saying harsh things. He was saying he generally was a happy child, but, but it was, you know, I'm sure it was like that's when the defense mechanisms start to develop. You know, even as a child, we, when we can't figure out why, why isn't this loving? Um, there's, it starts to be like a protection schemes. Um, and then the mask seems to get more developed and more hardened and more complicated as, as humans grow up, you know. They seem to be out of touch with their spontaneity, with their playfulness. Um, they, they're out of touch with their laughter. Uh, you know, you'd, it's almost like when, when adults left in society, people were like, oh, you know, God, they're losing it over there, whatever, as if you're supposed to be this stiff, kind of, uh, you know, well-behaved <laughs> adult. And if you have a moment where you drop the mask for a bit and you start to giggle and laugh, people, oh, they got issues. Somebody giggles, oh, they have issues, you know. You see, it's, it's so, it just becomes so complicated and hardened that we, we have to loosen up from that. We have to, you know, let go of trying to, to maintain the mask. And I think in this movie, Elton does start to get to that point where he feels like he wants to loosen from the mask and then he gets some pretty harsh reflections, including his manager says, go ahead, kill yourself. I'll still be making 20% off of all your record sales. I mean, you know, it's just, it, it, the specialness is just, you can see this, this hate, the special hate relationship that was under there all along. Meanwhile, Elton was looking to this man, to this partner, to be loved. To, to get the love that he felt he didn't get from his mother and his father. He was looking to that, and then it, it finally gets revealed, like, oh my gosh, I, I was believing that I needed to be loved by you, instead of really looking inside. And, uh, you know, basically the song, I'm Still Standing, uh, or the, the, uh, the character says to him, he doesn't know who he is, and he says, 
I know who I am, which is just his opening to, uh, oh, I, I, I'm going to be okay here. <laughs> I, I'm going to make it through here. I, I'm not going to believe this lie uh, about not knowing who I am. I'm going to, that's what I think his whole recovery was about. That's where he went into being 20 years sober and, and starting to level up and getting into all kinds of helping and all kinds of helping uh, organizations, charity, raising money, you know, the goodness um, just started to bubble and flow out of him. It was so natural. He's actually very naturally loving and giving, but he had to get past that lie of, I need to be loved in an external way. You know, things, the purpose had to start to shift in there for him to start to allow the love to pour through. So, I know that's what I talked about in the movie, when I've had those really dismantling, devastating times where where I just, I had no clue what would come next. I, I really, uh, at that point, it felt like a kind of a wipeout, where I just was like so open. And that's when the trust and the guidance grew stronger than ever. Uh, when I when the I know mind crashed like Humpty Dumpty, it had a great fall. Uh, spiritual ideas and you know, what should happen next and everything crash, 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 crash. And then the phoenix comes rising out of the ashes. Uh, whoa, I've got a deeper connection with Jesus than ever before. Whoa! Then crash, crash, crash again. Oh my God, not again. Whoa, here comes the strength. Here comes that. It's like we're open. As soon as we have a crack in the I know mind that thinks it knows something about this world, there's the light just comes, starts streaming through that crack. And when we try to hold the mess together and, and say, no, no, I've got it together. I've got it together now. That's a very white song. I've got it together, baby. Dun, dun, dun. You know, it's when we try to hold it together and keep it together and keep the mass together, at times it's going to just crack. And then all this transparency and this light and this authenticity just pours through. And we're actually closer to the light when, when we go through that. So that's to me what the feeling has been for me, you know, going through the darkness. And yeah, ego's trying to threat, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it all. Okay, let's just see. I think Jesus is going to pull me through. Let's see what this losing it feels like. <laughs> and then whoosh, like that Cliff Richard song. You know, I love that song about the uh, only way out is the only way in it is you. You know, I've been, spent a lot of times at the crossroads getting that lonely feeling inside. But suddenly, you made the rescue. You pulled me through. Now let me do something for you. You know, it's like whoosh, the light comes in there. And that's, that's how it works. You know, you have to really give yourself, let yourself go over to that spark. Because it really, when we choose to line up with Jesus, we're making that a choice. We're making a choice to align. We're not passively laying there like some carcass, you know, saying, oh, you better come down and revive me. You know, it's like actually Jesus is saying, collaborate with me, join with me. 
listen to my words, you know, follow my directions, and, and then that activates the light in us. It's not like a, a passive thing. And sometimes I hear that where people go, well, I was 42 years old when I became a believer in the blood of Jesus Christ, and now I'm saved. And there's all these other people that aren't saved, but I'm saved. And it's like, you know, it's, where's the spark? You know, if you're saved and, and the other ones aren't saved, well, I've got to go out and, you know, try to save the people. It's, that doesn't sound like fun. Why don't you save your own mind in an authentic way and be happy? And then from a state of happiness, well, yeah, that'll light the whole world up. But, but don't just get some theology about, you know, I'm a believer and Jesus died on the cross for me and the blood of Jesus and all this. Oh, okay, whatever. I, I'm more excited by the atheist Bill Maher who, who wants to wipe out the words Jesus and God from the language because I can feel that he's just reacting to this make-believe idea of God, you know, deep down, you know, he wants, he's like everybody else, he wants to be happy, he wants to know love, <laughs> he's, he wants to know happiness, and it's, I feel that, I can feel that very strong. And I think that's, that's part of, uh, of clearing away from the darkness, we start to feel that spark of love with, with everyone we meet, like you start to feel they're adorable, you know, whatever the character looks like whatever mask it's like Halloween you know you get to get to open the door and greet all the the mask the goblins and the, the witches and everything and give your sweetness away after you open the door so you know it's it's a reinterpretation of Halloween so thank you Julie thank you yeah enjoy the speaker Spreaker all the way home with that one. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you, everyone. What a blessing! What a joyful experience we share together here. The happy. There's our mascot. Yeah. There, it's Peter and Jessica and lamb chops. <laughs> Again, lamb chops. <laughs> So thank you, and um, we do enjoy when uh, Ken puts out those polls because we get our topics. So tonight was kind of a, an interesting mix. Uh, fear of punishment, and then the anger at others, and then the unworthiness, inferiority. We got to see, yeah, this movie really uh, brought out all those, uh, brought those to the light, which is what we want. That's why we like those polls. We like to come into a deeper experience of, of the love in our hearts. So thank you from Mexico, and we send you all of our love, and we wish you a, a joyful morning or night, depending on whether you're Australia or whatever hemisphere or part of the world. We send you all of our love. And we'll hopefully see you again. See you again. There's Kirsten. <laughs> Thank you.